This show is brought to you by listeners and viewers like you. EvanX.com Tesla Accessories, our TeslaOwnersOnline.com community, and our Patreon supporters at Patreon.com slash TeslaOwnersOnline. Hello, everyone. It's time again for another episode of the Tesla Owners Online Show. Hey, it's March 4th, and I'm joined by both Eric and Ian. Today is a big day because we are going to do something a little different. Um, I thought, um, well, actually, Eric had the thought last time we did the show, during our discussions in the post-show, that um, I thought it would be kind of interesting to sit down and have a little chat between the three of us, because um, I don't think a lot of our listeners and viewers really know a lot about us personally. So Eric floated the idea, and I thought, sure, why not? Um, and then, of course, we went out and solicited uh, questions from our listeners and our viewers today, and certainly some of you guys have uh, delivered, so we're going to get into that. But today's an important day because it's March 4th, and it marks the first anniversary of the lightning, fast EV lightning run. Did I get that right, Ian? Yes, you did. Okay, good. <laughs> that Ian and I undertook last year where we decided to cross uh, Canada uh, as fast as possible from one end of the country to the other. So we embarked on the trip at 10 a.m. Pacific time from Tawasson, which has the uh, furthermost westmost uh, supercharger on the mainland. A lot of people said, well, why don't you start in Victoria? No, we wanted to start on the mainland. So we started there, and then we went all the way over to the last supercharger in Enfield, Nova Scotia. So that's the last one on the mainland. Um, we had planned the whole trip in a better route planner. And what was the number, Ian? Was 72 hours? Is that what it estimated? It depended. The thing with better route planner is you can you can put a lot of variables in, right? So you can play with temperature, weight of the car, all sorts of things. So I was getting numbers, depending on the temperature I plugged in, anywhere between 68 and 74 hours. So 72 seemed pretty reasonable. Uh, and and I, I think we could have done it. It's funny. You know, I rewatched the show for the first time in a long while today, and I looked at all of our log sheets for the stops. And... We, it was there. 72 hours in winter was there. But I, I think it could well be knocked down into the 60s and stuff. Well, most of the discrepancy, because we did it in 73 hours, 27 minutes, if I remember correctly. Yep. And it was, most of the discrepancy was just small things like human error. Like we yep. undercharged at one point, we overcharged a little bit. I mean, there were some variables in there. But yeah, it was uh, actually quite surprising that we did that. Um, of course, then uh, COVID hit and our, our record uh, still stands to this day, as far as I know. <laughs> Uh, by yep. the way, thank you to our friend Aaron Brighton, who gave us the uh, the commemorative shirts. He went online and grabbed a whole bunch of pictures of us and had these uh, sublimated shirts made. So anyways, if you're wondering what the heck we're wearing, that's that's what it's all about. Um, yeah, that's awesome, Aaron. Thanks, man. Yeah. So um, any thoughts about the trip, Ian? Like, what, what do you recall? Like, what's the most memorable moment? Um, well, a large part of it was what, what led up to it. And we, we've never really talked about on the show what really happened. I mean, I think every anybody who was following it in real time remembers that I got really, really sick. And that was no joke. I, I'd caught pneumonia. So that wound up delaying the whole trip and stranding poor Trevor out in Vancouver. Well, it was a, 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 an impromptu mini vacation for a week. Oh, yeah. yeah. I complained lots about that. You did. Yeah. <laughs> Poor dude, stuck in beautiful, sunny that week, plus 10. It was nice and warm. In the middle of a Canadian winter, exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think you're doing so bad. No. Nope. You know. But, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, the, the, the horror of the pneumonia going out there. I hadn't been that sick in 20 years, at least. Something like that. So, that that's still stuck. Um, 
Should we tell the story of what happened? Yeah, should we, I th should well, you it? had told the story time? on somebody else's um, show and stuff, but not on this yeah. one. So I think it's I time, not. like a year later, let's tell the actual story. Yeah. What really happened with your delay? Well, exactly. So it, it was really uh, by happenstance. It seemed horrible at the time, but it turned out to be the best thing because, I, as you all know now, I was, I was very ill during that period. But as I was driving out on the original schedule to meet Trevor, I was supposed to arrive on the Sunday um in in late february and um i got a little stop on the way i was uh, hauling up one of the um one of the passes in um near golden i was maybe about 30 minutes east of uh, golden british columbia and i've been warned repeatedly by my friend john he's the kind fellow in calgary my long 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 friend who who housed me uh, both during the visit and then my subsequent sickness uh, he said, dude, when you cross into British Columbia, be very, very careful. They are very strict about speed limits. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, are you listening to me? You sure you understand? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. But he knew how anxious I was to get out there. So anyway, I get out there and, you know, of course, I'm stuck behind a long, endless procession of trucks. And the Trans-Canada at that point is single lane for a good portion of the time. So I finally see this area where I, there's like five 18-wheelers in front of me plodding along at 85 kilometers an hour, you know, like 50 miles an hour. I'm losing my mind. It's like, oh, God, I got to mm. get past these guys. So we're going up this long hill, and I can see there's a passing lane that starts up ahead. So I was like, but it's covered in salt and crap. I can't see the lines. So like, I'm going to go for it now. Pull out, mat it, bring it up to about 135, which is what? I guess about um, 85 miles an hour or something like Sounds that. right. Yeah. And for the first time in two days, what comes straight down the road in the oncoming lane at me? An RCMP car. Oh. <sighs> which has moving radar on it. So I'm like, oh, this isn't good. So whoop, I tuck back in. I figure I'm going to get a big ticket. Oh, well, you know, that's life. Literally in the fast lane. What are you going to do? Uh, be a big boy. Smile and grin and bear it. Yeah. So I pull over immediately. You know, like don't want to give them any extra more trouble. So they come in behind me. Hello, sir. Uh, do you know what you're doing? Uh, uh, yeah, I think I was going a little quick. I was just passing. Those yes, you were passing over a double line. Ooh. Okay, it was double line back there. I literally couldn't see it. I mean, yeah. I could show you the dash cam. You couldn't see squad. But apparently that zone was still double line. But the big problem was I was going, according to the radar, exactly 134 kilometers an hour in a 90 zone. And anything more than 40 kilometers an hour, which is about 25 miles an hour, over the speed limit on the highway in British Columbia means they impound your car for seven days. <laughs> Yeah, that was about exactly the sound I made when they told me this. And he, he seemed to be saying it with a great deal of regret because, you know, I told him, like, look, I've been traveling across the country. I'm doing, doing this thing, and, and, and I'm a very responsible driver. And I mean, show them my driving record. They, they can look it up on the computer. It's been clean forever, you know? Like, yeah. Um, so they were super apologetic about it, the, the nicest guys. But they said, you have to understand where we have to get draconing because apparently something like 10 people a month are getting killed on those highway passes um, in British Columbia, just because of all of the harebrained maneuvers they're doing, you know? So I fell into that category. I, I had no excuse, but my world was like ending in that moment. Cause I'm thinking, Oh my God, the car is gone for seven days. I'm in the middle of the province. There's like nothing to do, nowhere to go. There's no airport for three, four hours. Like what the hell am I going to do? You can't even rent a car in golden BC. Like there's nothing to do. I figured that's it. I'm going to be stuck in a hotel here for seven days, you know, feeling miserable for myself. Anyway, Turns out, uh, while I'm in the middle of despair, and like I have the two RCMP officers now, 20 minutes into this, we're waiting for the tow truck to show up, and they can see that I'm like suicidal, they're, and they're, they're trying to cheer me up. This is how nice the RCMP are. They're actually trying to cheer me up and say, listen, it's not so bad, and you know, nah, nah, nah. And, 
oh man, they, they felt as bad as I did at this point, you know? So finally, in the middle of my wallowing in self-pity, what pulls up in front of me is the tow truck. And then I realize that's the guys from Highway Through Hell. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was TV Jamie show. Davis towing. Yeah, the big red tow trucks that if you've ever watched that show on Discovery Channel, you know, they're super famous. They've seen in 140 countries. So I'm like, I, I have this incredible fanboy meltdown. It's Jamie Davis towing. It's Jamie, woo, they're going to tow my car. Like, all of a sudden, I'm excited <laughs> about the prospect of having my car towed by Jamie Davis towing. <laughs> this is what sort of an idiot I am. Anyway, so yeah, they put the car on the thing and, you know, he's got the dollies for it and whatever, and he sets it all up right. Unfortunately, he didn't have a flatbed available. It would have been six hours to wait for a flatbed. So, but he put it on the dollies and everything was fine, secured the car, did a super good job. And of course, now it's got to go to the impound yard. And I mean, I was terrified that it was going to go to like, you know, Guido's impound yard or something, you know, it's like the typical treatment you would expect. But no, I got to the Jamie Davis tow yard and everybody there was super, super nice super nice about it um and they they found a little spot for it and i said guys we have to keep this car out of sight because there's the whole project behind it and i don't want the world to know it got impounded before we went across the yeah. country for a dumbest reason or agile you know so i'm like ah but they were super nice about it they found a little spot they even ran uh, an extension cord like 100 feet of, of um of 120 volt extension cord heavy gauge stuff out from one of their warehouses to the to the yard so they could keep it charged for me all week i mean i can't say enough about them and then it turns out brandon who you see on the show he's uh, jamie's stepson um turns out to be a huge tesla fan so when the car gets into the yard his eyes light up and he comes running out he's asking me a thousand questions i'm like bro when when this thing is freed of jail you're welcome to take it for a test drive and that's where it became public again when you see me show up to pick up the car a week later um for a test drive with jamie and we did a little interview in the car and i threw it out there on twitter and it turns out he's ordering a cyber truck for the rescue operation very nice so yeah he should be one of the first to get it and he's going to do it up you know in the jamie davis colors and everything so we had a blast driving the car around talking it was supposed to go on the show uh, but at the last minute the camera crew that was going to film us um got called away because of a wreck or something like that hmm. So yes, I, I I don't like to think that I deceived all our, our faithful viewers and listeners uh, throughout that time. Um, but the funny part of that story is, had the car not been impounded, as you all know, I had a violent reaction to some medications about a day and a half, two days later, um, for which I was nearly hospitalized. And had that not happened, this would have happened in the middle of Canada. Well, we're cannonballing it would have been really bad. The it would have destroyed it, yeah, because I had a meltdown. I mean, I thought I was dying. Like I didn't uh, know you, you ended a, up getting what the paramedics come in to see you at one point. Yeah. Too, yeah. The paramedics had to come to the house. My, my heart rate was through the roof. Uh, I was having a really, really bad reaction to these super powerful um, antibiotics that they put me on. So after about six hours, it, it went away and uh, they switched me to another med, uh, but it still took me a good week to recover from pneumonia. So it, so it did it in the end, uh, having the car towed was the best possible thing that could have happened. It, it saved the whole project. So, I mean, how weird is that? Yeah, I remember that because uh, I was walking downtown, just taking in Vancouver, and uh, I get a phone call, and then you said, oh, there's something I have to tell you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, now what? And then as soon as you said impound, I'm like, oh, oh no. <laughs> and then when yeah. you said it was seven days, I'm like, oh, yeah. no. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. We still managed to complete it. It took us an extra seven days, uh, you know, for the start of it and stuff. But it was still successful. We had a great time. Uh, for those of you who have not seen the video, maybe you're new to the channel, whatever, I'll try and remember to put links in the video description and the podcast description where you guys can actually see it. But um, yeah, it, it was fun. Um, 
let me see here. What do I remember? Well, the community was amazing because everybody yeah. was cheering us on. Uh, I was running that Glimpse app on my phone so people could see us live where we were going, including our, our bathroom stops because everybody's like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> you see all these little dotted lines inside <laughs> the hotel? Yeah, that's that a bathroom it. break, guys. Um, so, yeah, it, it was really great. And then, of course, when we got to Halifax, I mean, people followed us the, the whole way and they were very supportive. And then the uh, the wonderful group there, including Maggie, um, in Halifax was, was super nice to us, took us for dinner yeah. and, uh, met us down at the water. Matter of fact, they even uh, escorted us from the Enfield supercharger right down to the water yeah. and stuff. So yeah, we had yeah, our own parade. Good, good times, good times. Um, good memories from that. And it, you know, when I sit down and I think about it, part of me is like, God, that feels like forever ago. But then in other ways, it like, it felt like it was just like yesterday. I think it's like that with a lot of things uh, over the past years for a lot of people. Anything significant that anybody, anybody out there did, I think we all feel the same way. It's like it does seem like a lifetime ago, and yet not all that long ago because we've all been part in our houses, and that, that's kind of our frame. Of, it's the last big thing I did yeah. in the outside world. Because literally when we got back, yeah. it was around the 13th or something, and then we went and locked down on the 15th. So we've been mm -hmm. pretty much down ever since. So that's literally yeah. the last time... Uh, that we did anything really yeah we, major. we were back in the office for a week uh yeah. before we got we got shut down but yeah i mean that's you know your dad trevor put it best by by saying you know that's something you should really document and just keep all the souvenirs because it was like that was a, a lifetime high that trip doing that that was so much fun i'm itching 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 <laughs> to do it again i gotta tell you uh, we need to do it with more people next time. I think it'll be... Yeah, that's, the, that's the plan. We've talked about it. Well, we, all we I know is every time you guys are traveling to go somewhere between Trevor's passport and a backpack under his office <laughs> desk or you having your car impounded, it's never it's never what happens no. on the trip. It's what leads to getting there that you guys always get in trouble. I am Love not it. traveling with you anywhere. <laughs> I will just meet you there and we'll be fine. Good times. That's very, very wise, Eric. Very wise. <laughs> There's enough evidence to support that that's and right point. now, the Canadian government is saying, the hell with you Americans. So right now, I, I can't even get to see you guys if I wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good times, anyways. We had a we had a really good time. And um, mm -hmm. again, like I said, if you haven't watched the uh, the video and stuff, I'm trying to remember, go through our, our back catalog and stuff. Um, uh, but I'll put a link, and you guys can uh, certainly check it out. Let me see here. There was something else I was going to say about the trip, too, but it just escaped me. But anyways... All right. Well, um, so that's our news. That's what we wanted to talk about. That's our one-year anniversary. It took us uh, three days to drive out there. So, you know, we started today, a year ago. So in a couple of days' time, that's when we actually finished the trip. Fine Lab has aligned protective coatings that were engineered to protect your Tesla's paint, leather, carpet, plastic, and wheels, effectively blocking all those UV rays and environmental factors before they ever get to ruin your brand new baby. Fine Lab offers a complete line of car care products and ceramic coatings for both the do-it-yourselfer and professional detailers. Did we mention we also have the world's first self-healing coating? Check us out at finelab.com, that's spelled F-E-Y-N-L-A-B, to see the science behind the self-healing. Check out our product catalog and click contact us for a free quote from a certified installer in your area. Fine Lab and Tesla, we were meant for each other. As I said before, we were going to get into this whole thing that um, we were going to sit down and not do a lot of Tesla stuff today. So if you're expecting a lot of Tesla stuff, that's not happening on this podcast. But I thought we'd take the opportunity, as Eric had suggested, to get to know, give our audience a chance to understand who we are, where we came from, what do we do? We took some audience questions as well. So um, with that, 
who wants to start? I, I, I vote that Eric take the lead on this because okay. I think you, you had the concept <laughs> and no, but you, All right. you're, you're an excellent interviewer. Like, you know, Eric you, you have right, yeah. the whole idea. I'm terrible at this stuff. It's like, if you're not asking me a specific technical question that has a specific technical <laughs> answer, I'm hopeless. It's not gonna right. you're, you're like, you're like the guy that sort of like hovers in the forums, like just ask a question I can answer and your fingers are right at the keyboard type. And you're like, Oh, yes. I got this. That's me. That's got exactly it. So let's, I think, let's start with this. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, your mom and dad uh, fell in love. No, let's, let's, let's not do that. Um, so let's start, I'll start with, uh, with Ian. So everyone knows on the show, you are our guru when it comes to anything round, right? Wheels, tires, soda cans, whatever it is. You're, when, when it comes to something cylindrical, like your head, you're, you're pretty knowledgeable about this stuff. What? Take us back to what got you interested in automobiles in general, because your experience with automobiles is very vast. And you've done, I mean, you pretty much have disassembled cars and reassembled them just for fun on a weekend. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what got you started? What got you interested in automobiles uh, from way back when? You know, it's funny. You, you read people's stories who are into a specific thing in their entire lives, and uh, it you can trace it almost back to birth. And it sounds kind of corny, but for me, that was the case. I mean, from the moment I was cognizant of the fact there were objects that moved, I had a fascination with cars. Like my mom always used to say, you were so much happier that by the time you hit the height, you could actually see out the window and you could see what was making those sounds. And that's all I would stare at all day long. You know, and I'm sure there's many of our, our, our listeners and viewers who are, if you're, if you're a gearhead, you're the same. Like you, you can tell that same story of about five years old, you could name every car on the road, right? Well, I was one of those kids. And to me, it wasn't, it wasn't just a mechanical fascination. I mean, um, there was a very strong emotional attachment to machines and, and cars in particular to me are, are the most uh, emotionally involving things that I, I, I get to play with. I, they, they have spirit, character, soul. I mean, everyone that I've ever driven, whether it's good or bad, is debatable, but they, they have such strong personalities. So that's that stayed with me my whole life. So there was no question from, from childhood, I knew I was going to work in the car business. My dream growing up as a teenager was to become an automotive journalist because I, I loved English. Those are my best classes and writing and all that stuff. But the thing is, as an English kid growing up in Quebec, you know, in the 1970s, I couldn't imagine this. Like, well, you know, we only have one or two English newspapers and they don't really review cars. So it, it just didn't occur to me that that was a job possibility. And I wound up going into the aftermarket accessory business. And from there, it just went up and up and up and up to, to kind of where I am today. And what year was it you transitioned from going into journalism or where you would aspire to be a journalist yeah. to getting into the automotive sector uh, that you're in now? Um, well, I kind of let the automotive journalist thing die, like I said, probably around the time I got my driver's license, uh, when I was 15, uh, 16 years old. So I, I sort of clued in at that point, like, no, nah, I better take another course. And I just bumped from, you know, I went to three different CJEPs. That's like CJEP is college, essentially, in Quebec. And I went through three different programs. I did electric technology for a year. I did two years of mechanical engineering technology. And then complete right turn, I went into theater technology. And none of them hooked me the same way. It's like, no. Nah, I, I got to get back into cars somehow. And I remember very specifically, both of my parents were in education. You know, uh, my mom was in charge of the um, English Catholic Teachers Union for the province of Quebec. And my dad was president of the Canadian Association of Principals. They were both like really high up educators. Uh, my sister wound up becoming a teacher. I was the black sheep of the family. It's like, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. <laughs> I remember clear as day, like it was yesterday, walking into my mom's office after class one day and saying, you know what? Three different schools, nothing's resonating. 
I want to go work at the auto drugstore. That was Mecca. Auto drugstore was like the coolest car shop in all of Montreal at the time. This is mid-1980s. It was like Beverly Hills Auto for all of us old folkies who remember Road and Track and all of the great magazines, you know, that had the ads of these fantastic car accessory shops that did mail order. So we had our own version of that in Montreal. And I just, I could live there like, you know, all of the Momo steering wheels and Anza exhaust systems. It was paradise. So I was like, I just, I want to go work there. And my mom with a beating, like not even heartbeat, not even blinking an eye said, we'll do it. If that's your passion, go do it. I was like, but aren't you an educator? Aren't you a little bit? No, 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 no. She says, if that's really what you want to do, go do it. So it, at that point, there was no turning back. So I literally drove out of her office, drove to the auto drug store, spoke to the owner who I knew. And I said, listen, man, nothing else is doing it for me. I want to work here. And he looked at me like kind of with a, you know, the crooked dog head look. Mm-hmm, he goes, mm-hmm. are you psychic or something? I'm like, why? It's like, um, my top sales guy just gave me his notice today. I mean, it was how meant to be. Kismity is that yeah. like yeah so it was kind of like wow so yeah he he made me an offer on the spots the kind of thing and I started the very next day <laughs> how meaningful was it um and, and you've sort of mentioned this a couple of times for your mom to be as supportive as she was of your ambitions I think very I mean uh, both of my parents had a very strong influence on me my dad was the strong silent type well he was very gregarious like you know he's the life of the party everywhere else and he'd come home you know the Bugs Bunny cartoon with the little frog that dances there? And you, right. Hello, baby. Hello, my darling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You put him on stage, he'd be like, ribbit. That was my dad. <laughs> At home, he was ribbit. Out in, out in public. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like, he was kind of suspicious of the whole thing. But, it's, well, you know, but it was always, well, what does your mother think? And my mother was like, oh, Steve, that's what he wants to do. Let the boy follow his dream type of thing. You know, like, mm-hmm. she was so cool that way. So, yeah, it, it, it meant a lot to me. Uh, you know, I was very spoiled as a kid. I got to say, overall, I had the most amazing childhood imaginable. And I, I didn't, I never stopped to appreciate it, I think, until I was well into my late 20s. You know, um, I, I had no idea. I just thought, well, isn't every lady's life glorious like this? We get to do what we want and run around and do stupid things and break stuff. And your parents just go, don't do that again. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was, wasn't even a question. Did you spend a little bit of time um, in the audio business, too? I thought you said something. Yeah. Wow. Good memory drive. I for a very I had a very small break. Um, I guess it was uh, around 1990, something like that. I took six months off to get my private pilot's license, with the goal of eventually going on to a commercial. I'm only 25 hours away from having a commercial license. Oh actually. wow. Yeah. I was I was this close, and then of course met a girl, which is where all stories take a right <laughs> turn, right? Yeah. So. So yeah, the pilot thing never happened. But while I was doing that, I uh, I started um, another job in another field. It was just easier time-wise, and it was I was the service manager for um, a home audio shop in the West Island uh, in Montreal called La Boutique Electronique, if Montrealers remember that place. So yeah, I, I ran their um, their service department for a number of years. That was crazy. That place was like an episode of Mash every day. Oh my god! And I've heard <laughs> I've, you mentioned a few stories. And yeah, it's like yeah, it reminds me of my early days when I was working in the computer stores. But very similar to yeah, you, what you've told us about that, which you should elaborate on. Yeah, yeah. So, so Ian, now that you're in the space where you have not only all this experience and knowledge, but you're also doing a lot of writing. So, how does it feel to finally merge the two things that you loved doing when you were younger and now as an adult be able to do both? 
it's kind of incredible, you know, like it's really weird how I felt uh, through time, like all of these things kind of align. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it as I'm telling you guys a story. And as, as you phrase the question, it's the first time I'm sort of appreciating to what point that happened. And it's really weird because, yeah, I get to write all the technical documents, you know, like all of our instructions, um, all of the um, basically all of the materials that go out to our OEM customers for the wheel programs. There's a lot of very technical stuff in there that has to be distilled into some understandable form. You know, I feel like that guy in office space who has to translate stuff between the engineers and the sales department. <laughs> At which point they're like, well, why can't the salespeople just talk directly to the engineer? You film. can't have salespeople talking. It. Yeah. Are you crazy? <laughs> so I'm that guy. It, yeah. it, it's fun to be able to use those skills. 100%. It's, it's very satisfying to do that. Yeah. So, Trevor, let's kind of sort of the same thing with you. Um, a lot of us know that you're very geeky, very techy. Um, you know, we do you do a lot of private stuff yourself as an independent employee. Um, but let's go back to your youth and what led you into the world of technology as you now know it. Ooh. Um, well. Uh, if, if you need two hours, we got time. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I think. Some of my stuff kind of mirrors what Ewan's saying. Ever since I was a little kid, I was always fascinated with anything mechanical, electronic. My mother loves to tell stories of me um, taking the record player apart to figure out how it works and sometimes putting it together. Uh, um, other times, maybe not. I remember <laughs> I remember my brother and I had gotten these walkie-talkies, these big things that look old brick phones. And when they stopped working, I, I took it apart because I just wanted to see the insides and how things worked th uh, that way. Um, my dad... Um, was, well, he's still alive. So he's very much a tinker. Um, he always had cars. We had snowmobiles, uh, all that stuff. And my dad was always, as my mother called it, he was always puttering, right? He was always doing something. When we were kids, um, Ian, you'll know this, uh, you know, we, we had a ski boost, right? Yeah, yeah, you had the exact same setup we do. Exactly. So a ski boost, for those who don't know, it's a little trailer for kids that go behind a snowmobile. Sometimes they're tandem, sometimes they're side by side. My dad had bought one that was side by side. And it was... Um, Bombardier yellow and the, with the black stripes and he bought us these skull caps and stuff and he painted them to match that. That's that's the kind of stuff that my dad would do. Mm -hmm. um, so I got my interest in anything uh, mechanical just from being around my dad all the time. My dad has a couple classic cars. Whenever he has trouble with something, he calls me on the phone if it's electrical or whatever the case may be. Mechanical stuff he can handle, electrical stuff he has, to, he has a tougher time with. But uh, he will call me about those kind of things. So I, I've always been around cars, always been around that stuff. I was late to the car game. Like I didn't buy my first car until I was about 23, 22, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but since then, I've gone through a lot of cars because I'm the type of person when it comes to mechanical stuff is like, and Ian knows this because of my personality, um, I'm a goal-oriented person. So I also have myself a goal mentally. Once I achieve it, I get bored and I move on to the next thing and the mm -hmm. next thing and the next thing. So cars are exactly the same thing. I'd buy a car, I get bored with it, sell it, buy something else. I've probably gone through 25 different cars. Oh my gosh. Every make, wow. model, you can imagine it. That's just something I do because I just, it's just, it's a new adventure. It's just something fun. Um, so that's where my mechanical stuff comes from. It's also parlayed um, into... When I was in my, let me think here, uh, let me say, I was about 30. Yeah, when I turned about 30, I wanted to get into aviation. Um, at first, I, I, I went to, and I didn't know where to start. I couldn't afford uh, to get a private pilot's license. Um, so I started looking around at alternatives. The first thing I had found was there was a glider club close to me. So I went to the glider club and I asked, uh, who does training? And 
it was a very cliquey little club and uh, unless you're already in on the inside nobody wanted to talk to you so i managed to scooch i think one or two rides um out of somebody down there but nobody really wanted to train me um and after that ride i had fun but the 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 thing that i took away from the glider thing as fun as it was it was like well you're always dependent on somebody else to tow you up and i was like i don't want that kind of thing like for me the airplane had to be like a motorcycle get on it and do what you wanted to do so after much uh, um, research, I decided that I was going to get my ultralight pilot's license, and that's exactly what I did. So I got my license around about mm, 98 or 99, I think it was. And um, I also uh, owned three aircraft over the time. So I, I, I built, let me see, I actually built three of the aircraft, and each one was progressively more advanced. The last airplane I built took me two and a half years to build, over 10,000 rivets and um, built from scratch, all metal. Wow. Um, but as it turns out, um, I ended up enjoying the building experience more than the flying experience. It's just one of those things. So I, I gave it up. I gave it up in 2006 or 2007. I haven't looked back. I don't really miss it. Um, it's just one of those things. I did that. I mean, I wanted to learn how to um, scuba dive. I did that. Got it out of my mm -hmm. system. So there's a lot of things, like I said, it, it ties into my personality. Once I reach something, I, I want to move on to the next thing. So that's that's basically where it comes from. And, of course, my love of electronics now and cars is, is, is perfect for the Tesla thing because it's a marriage of both of those things, right? Do you find that your affinity for Legos and those building kits, I know you're into 3D modeling now as well, <laughs> yeah. um, that that stems from that same thing? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I got my first Lego kit when I was four, and um, I, I can tell you exactly mm -hmm. which one it was, the first lunar module that they built. I forget the exact wow. model kit and stuff, but anyways, that was, you know, that was my love too. Um, I remember very much at a, at a young age wanting to be an astronaut because I wanted to push the buttons. That's what I liked, right? And I still like yeah. that. I go look at airplanes, sounds perfect. right? I look at airplanes. First thing I look at is the dash. It's just, it's just something I like to do. Um, so it kind of tied in with that. But Lego has always been a, a lifelong thing for me. I was doing all kinds of Lego. I was still building Lego when I was 15 until I gave all my Lego to my uncle for his kids. And then a number of years after that, he called me up and says, do you want it all back? They were done with it. And I said, yes. So I, I've got all my original Lego back. I mean, of course, you miss parts and stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so my love of, of Lego is, is still continuing to this day. I'm, I have no room in the house for any more stuff, though. So. <laughs> and I'm buy a house. house. And I'm, a bigger house, right? Yeah, and I am particular about what I collect. So I, I don't buy yeah. just any kits. It, it has to have a certain appeal to me, namely the Technic um, stuff. I've always loved the Technic stuff. That's the stuff with the pins and the gears and the, mm. and the stuff. And then the and the other kind is that I like to collect is the modular stuff because to me we like we don't have artwork in the house per se. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people like to have paintings and stuff. That's not our thing. But we do like the 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 modular kits, because they're really, if you've seen one in person, you've put it together, they're beautiful works of art. So for us, that's, that's our, that's our art collection. One of the, one of the first times I learned about your ingenuity uh, was when you built a way to open the gate to the side of your house mm. by having this system. And, and you basically 3D printed some stuff and, you know, use a string and you're able to kind of jerry-rig that thing. Um, as a man who's very crafty, what would you say is the most important tool you own and then the most important tool any man should own? <laughs> um, man or woman. Yeah, exactly. Man or woman, yeah. Um, any person, any person. I'm a big fan of tools. I own a lot of tools. I get that from my dad. 
Um, so my ultimate dream eventually when I get out of this rat race is to have some kind of workshop. I have a workshop in the back, uh, but it's not adequate for me to have the kind of tools. dungeon, but that's okay. Yeah, it's not adequate enough for me to have the kind of tools that I want. If I'm not doing Tesla-related stuff, um, when the weather is nice, the thing I like to do is, is carpentry. I love carpentry. So for me, ultimately, I'd like to have a shop with, you know, the proper tools that I could do that kind of work. I've built lots of sheds and fences and pergolas and you, you name it. I've built it. I, you know, I got a beautiful um, uh, table thing that I built for my barbecue. Um, so that's that's kind of my love. So I, I really like uh, tools. So I think that's... Uh, and, and, and the thing about tools is if you buy good tools, they'll last you a lifetime. So I'm not afraid to buy stuff that even though I may not need it right now, there will come a time... Um, that you will need it. What was the other question? Well, ideally, it was just what tool you find is most important to you that you love to have, and then what uh, a person well, should own. Okay, so the most important tool in my life, obviously, to earn a living is this computer that I'm working on. So that's, that's okay. I mean, without that, you're taking a different route, but that's fine. That's totally cool. <laughs> it, it counts. Yeah. It counts. So it's fair to say, I'm sure some listeners who are paying attention could say that you, Trevor, could build the plane and Ian could very well fly it. Well, we both could fly it. The difference is Trev could build it. Right. Yeah, well, my, I my license... Of it. He just has a, a much wider uh, range. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to go back some recurrency because my license has lapsed. But <laughs> <laughs> That's 3D printed, by the way, behind you if you're watching the video. So nowadays, um, you obviously run a forum. Uh, you obviously have this uh, very popular YouTube channel, and you have a lot of different outlets for spreading news to the community. So this question really goes to the both of you. Um, what do you find has been most conducive to your livelihoods as a result of being a part of this uh, environment, uh, this Tesla atmosphere that we find ourselves in? Uh, because, you know, being being a forum moderator is one thing, you know, sort of having the enthusiasts all coming to light and asking questions of each other. But then it, it goes well beyond that. We're seeing the ramifications of that uh, culture uh, that Tesla's created. So how, how integral has it been to your lives to be a part of that? Ian, you go first. Um, it's a really interesting question. I'd have You're to welcome. give that a, a well, <laughs> we had no doubt. Why do you think we put you in charge of the question? <laughs> hey, man. All <laughs> I know is I'm, I'm just the one posing the questions here. So yeah. I get to drink my wine. And, and, and you're not getting out of the whole, the whole backstory of the life thing and how you wound up coming to here. Cause you have by far the most varied and interesting. Oh, mine is so weird. Yeah. 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 We're, we're going to get to that one in a minute. You're not right. getting out of that one. But, yeah. um, yeah. How does it relate to, to my, my daily life and career? Well, it, it, you know, it turned out much, much bigger than I expected. I mean, a funny story that we tell at the beginning of the um, the testing video for the EV1, which is 100% true, mm. is, you know, when I started to get into the, the Tesla and the EV community back in late 2015, early 2016, um, that was purely a personal passion thing. It's like, oh, my God, somebody's finally built an EV that that's for me. Like, literally, they designed the Model 3 all-wheel drive performance car is exactly, exactly the car that I would want if I could have a, the perfect electric car. So, like, there's no more excuse. I jumped into it hands, you know, feet. But I figured it would just be, you know, the usual, like I'd done on, you know, motorcycle forums, my motorcycle and everything else. It's like, yeah, there's a community around it. People are super cool, one of the nicest. I didn't really picture it would go much beyond that. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because it was, I'd literally just come back from the camp out to reserve the car. And one of our um, product managers, uh, Ryan, who you see in the video, came into my office and was like, dude, that thing was crazy, man. It's like you, had, you guys had Woodstock at the Tesla store in Montreal. You know, there's like, what, 400 of you down there? 
this is this this EV thing is going to be much much bigger. Like he he saw it already and he was completely out of the picture. But he like so many other people looked at that one event and said, oh my god, there there's you know the changes are coming. Mm-hmm. So he said, should we develop wheels for EVs? And I was like, well, yep. what what would they look like? I mean, in my mind, wheels for EVs were what you saw like on hybrid Civics and stuff. They were like basically dinner plates. I'm like, no, no, no. no. Put my eyes out with hot pokers if I have to look at those. You know, like, <laughs> it's not happening. Forget it. No, no, they're all geeky and horrible. No, we can't do EV wheels. I had no imagination whatsoever. You know, you know when you're in the middle of the storm and you can't quite see yeah. outside the cloud. Yeah. Ryan right. was seeing it. He's like, no, no, dude, we can do something cool. I'm sure we, you know, between us, we can come up with something. So that that's how my my professional life and the whole Tesla online thing kind of converged. Of course, we we built the EV one out of it, and the rest is history. My God, has that been a rocket ride? But um, you know, it, it it's an interesting conversation starter. Like because we have so many uh, OEM clients, you know, at work with like Mazda and Mitsubishi and Hyundai and Nissan, all these other companies that we build wheels for. You know, when I go to these big meetings with their engineers and all development groups are like yeah you're that tesla guy aren't you yeah exactly they're not always loved but they've always been so enthusiastic to, like to hear what my impression was i remember um just before the model y reveal event i was actually out taking a training course with society of automotive engineers in california a couple of days prior and uh, you know you had some of the top chassis engineers in all north america from ford gm uh, one guy worked for Harley, like fascinating, fascinating people. And, and 40 other people who were either professional test drivers or engineers themselves. And at that time, I was the only person in a room who owned a Tesla. And like the questions I got bombarded with, you know, especially because Autopilot was really coming onto the scene at that point. It was in 2018, I think, 2019, 2019, 2019. Yeah. So like, yeah, everywhere you go, you know, personally and professionally, this this whole little tesla ev world follows me around it's it's been pretty mind-altering <laughs> and you almost almost just become known for that like it's yeah your your identity changes from all the various things you've mentioned earlier like your your i mean your history spreads far and wide for journalism to i mean everything about cars and everything else and they just go oh there's the tesla guy like you you become sort of funneled into this one little thing but it spreads far beyond that and i think the background you have um, sort of brings so much to the table so people, when they're asking these questions, you're taking it well beyond the EV conversation. You're taking it into sustainability efforts, into the battery technology, into IT technology, I mean, just all sorts of stuff. You're just forefront. And I think it's very impressive. So, uh, Trevor, same questions for you. I know is, uh, you know, how, how much has this all changed your life? A lot, actually. Um, so I've been working for myself since, oh, God, 94, 95, something like that. Um doing the IT thing for a long time. And um, over the last few years, I just felt like completely burnt out. Um, it's a very thankless job. I never get phone calls. Hey, how you doing? It's always get your ass down here because it's broken, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that gets old pretty quick. And like I said, we've been in it for a long time. And, uh, you know, circumstances change. Um, you know, IT changes a lot. Um, and like I said, because the Tesla thing came about at, at the right time, um, especially with the Model 3, because I, I just had it in my mind. I had this gut feeling. I knew the Model 3 was going to be a big deal. And, of course, being in the IT thing and b- had been building websites since, like, 94 and stuff, I said. And the other thing, too, is that I think over the last 25 years or something like that, every car that I've owned, I've always joined some kind of forum. 
Because it's a great way to exchange information with other like-minded people. You have problems and stuff. Because I'm not the kind of guy, I, I'm the kind of person um, that likes to teach myself. I don't like to call other people and ask things. I like to learn with my uh, myself and stuff. So I would never call a manufacturer and stuff, but I would get hints from other people. So anyways, the forum communities um, have always been good. So I, I, I felt like... I wanted to be part of this Tesla community. What can I bring to the table? Well, because I'm in the IT business, I've done websites and I've been on forums. I just put all three together and it says, I'll build a friendly, uh, nice forum and let's see where it goes. Um, so anyways, I registered a domain name. I set it all up back in October of 2015. So this is before the Model 3 launched. And then as soon as the Model 3 uh, launched on uh, March 30th, 31st, or whatever it was, I forget the exact day. Um, I had also had a YouTube channel, which was just, you know, a little bit of personal stuff on there. So I decided to do a video and release it the very day after the release, talking about some of the details that I had seen um, of that 3D model that was spinning behind Elon. And that video went absolutely viral. And I remember watching the numbers and I thought, huh. There's something to this YouTube thing. Maybe I can tie it in with the forum to get the word around about the forum. And at the same time, I had also started a Twitter account. So what I did is I actually took all three things. So the YouTube, the forum, and the Twitter, and put all three together and made this brand, Model 3 Owners Club. That was basically where it came from. And co-marketed everything and really got things going. Now, at, in the early days with the forum, it was a lot of work because... When you're first starting out, you don't have any members. There's no content. So I put a lot of work into that and get content. And then slowly over time, as people discovered it, you know, through the videos and through the promotions and stuff, um, that it grew into this big community. Now, um, it's been, what, five years? Uh, it's a totally self-sustaining community to the point now where I consider myself semi-retired. So I don't do much of the IT stuff anymore. It's basically the forum, and it pays me an income. So that was really good because I had been looking for something to transition out of this IT thing, but I didn't know where I was mm. going to go, what was going to happen. So the timing of everything worked out really well in my favor. So I'm very thankful uh, for the Tesla community and everybody who's supported me over the years. Um, the YouTube thing has really helped out too. Uh, that's been a long slog as well. I'm not a prolific YouTuber. I only do videos when I feel I have something important to say. There's other people out there that put out a video like every week. And they get a huge following and stuff, but I'm not that kind of person. It's just, it's just like, okay, I got something important to say today, and then I'll go and do a video. They're, not a lot of them are, are planned like months in advance or anything like that. So it's been a long slog. Um, the thing about YouTube is that um, sometimes you get recognized, other times you don't. I remember getting recognized in the early days. I think it was walking downtown Toronto or something like that. This was on 2017. Somebody approached me and said, hey, you're that guy at a YouTube channel. I thought, oh, okay, that was a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> After a while, you kind of get used to it. But the thing that gets me, though, is that when I go to gatherings, especially in the U.S., because I'll fa let's face it, most of the viewers are in the U.S. as far as my YouTube. I, I look at the analytics. It's, it's mostly in the U.S. Um, when you go to these big Tesla events, because I'm a, a low-key guy. I just do my thing, do mm -hmm. video once in a while. People know me on the forum. They know me on Twitter and stuff. But w when you get into a crowd of people and you get recognized, like, big time, I get this serious... Um, what do you call it? Like uh, that, agoraphobia type thing? No, 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 no. It's it's that. Um, oh gosh, and I'm trying to remember the term for it. There's that. Um, what is this? I don't belong here. This is this is not for me type of thing. Oh, imposter. Uh, that's syndrome. imposter syndrome. Yes, yes. exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I 
I get that when, okay. when I'm around a lot of people. It's like all these people coming up to me. I'm like, ooh, uh, yeah, that that's weird. I'm just a nice Canadian. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. yeah. So I, I just do my thing. But yeah, the imposter syndrome thing really hits me hard when I'm around a lot of other people oh, and I get recognized a lot. That's ooh. I think I think part of it is because that's just what the Tesla culture is cultivating. Right. We, we see these fans who are branching out and reaching out for whatever thing they can cling on to that is providing them the information, providing them, you know, this this is their drug. Right. And you're dealing it out. You're just you're just every day putting on content. And um, but it's, for those but it's who don't know the one way, you know, there's not a lot. Feedback. A lot of well, a lot, especially when it, you're in a virtual environment. No yeah. one you're not really like out there all the time. So when when your popularity grows to that extent, I remember when um, uh, you would come down to Florida. It was I think it was the second Cars and Coffee event here in Florida. Um, unfortunately, this year I got a big time then. Right. Um, I had um, for those who don't know the backstory, I came into the channel um, through Trevor's videos and, uh, he was coming down for cars and coffee and I, I didn't treat him the way that some people do, which is like, Oh my God. Um, yeah, that was cool. But I was, <laughs> but I was like, well, it's cool that he's there because I, I found you as a very credible, reliable resource of good content. And you, your videos were largely informative, not commercialized. Yeah. Right. You're, you're presenting in a way where, and that's not for everyone. I know some people do like the flash bang pop sort of videos. Um, but yours are straightforward and informative. And, um, you know, when you guys got your hands on the early Model 3 uh, in Canada and had a chance to, you know, you and Ken did that video. Actually, was, that was in Texas. I'm yeah. sorry, it was in Texas. But you guys did that walk around basically every inch of the car. I mean, you guys had your tape measures down, all that yep. stuff. And that that gave so much satiation for people who were like, I need this car needs to be real. And they realized then, like, it is getting ever so close you can sort of like the palpitation uh was was getting to people so when i had a chance to meet you um you know i, I wasn't expecting glamour i wasn't expecting someone who's sort of pretentious i knew you were very down to earth um and and you and beverly were phenomenally kind and and undeniably uh respectful to everyone who was there and um I just sort of hung around and, you know, obviously worlds collided and, you know, things fast forward years later, it's sort of all coming full circle. Um, but it was very, it was very clear that there was a lot of, a lot of positive connections amongst us uh, to the point where um, we ended up spending a good part of the weekend together. Yeah, we did. Uh, you guys were in Hollywood, but we, we dined together. We went out together. We got ice cream together. Awesome. And then that, that sort of became an annual tradition yeah. uh, after that. So I, I certainly miss uh, that they were not doing it this year. But um, it is an, it, it is a thing when the guys come down to Florida that we, we we certainly do our best to try to get together as often as we can when we can. Yeah. So speaking of which, since uh, you're talking about yourself now, uh, let me think here. What can I ask well, Eric? I don't want to let him off the hook. He's got to come oh, back gosh. now and tell him his backstory. Because well, that's, that's that's what I'm getting at here. Is, yeah, is, okay, is, is, yeah. Tell us about your background, like your education. I mean, you, you ran for office, apparently. I mean, I did. I, I, I did that before. So um, for those who don't know, um, my last name is um, Camacho. And uh, it is uh, that by birth because my parents are immigrants from Cuba. Uh, they came to the States uh, in the 60s uh, when they were, you know, preteen, teenage years uh, and gone um, living most of their adolescent years in Florida. And they went to different high schools, got married, uh, moved up to New England, popped out a couple of kids. I was the first of two. <laughs> I have a younger brother. He's four years my junior. And... Um, we, I grew up there until I was about uh, almost 13, uh, and then we moved back to Florida uh, in 1990, 
and I've been living here um, pretty much ever since. The only time I ever spent living outside of Florida was when I went to the Bay Area in California in 2015. I was in California for about six, seven months, and then uh, got homesick and came back. Uh, loved so, California. What, what, what made you go to California? So, um, so we're going to jump around here quite a bit. So, um, <laughs> I moved out to California because I wanted to eventually get out of Florida. I knew I had a chance to get out there. Um, and uh, there were some things that would allow me to like uh, be a home caretaker for someone. Okay. And um, uh, it was just because the company I was working for at the time would allow me to work remotely. So I'm like, well, if I can keep my job and do it, you know, across the country and be able to live out in California, I had friends who lived there, still live there. Um, I'd visited a number of times and just fell in love with it. And um, it was just something that the, you know, the company was, it was really the early stages of my prior employer venturing into remote networking. Um, there were a few employees that did it, but they were sort of hesitant to do a lot of comp uh, employees to do that. Um, but as it were, it just spread a lot after that. So now the company of whom I shall not name just for privacy reasons, um, but now a lot of their employees, especially now with COVID, but even before that, a lot of employees can work from anywhere. Um, you know, cause they can hire them from anywhere. So, um, so I lived there for a period of time, but before that, um, I was, um, as a kid, I was the avid outdoorsman. I liked playing outside. I was never the kind of kid who nowadays wants to be tethered to his mobile devices and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I always had an interest in sports as a kid. Um, I loved baseball growing up. Uh, that never panned out. I sucked at little league. Um, I was, I was the kind of player who would just basically wait for someone to give me a base on balls. Um, cause I was afraid to fail, which is, uh, that's going to be a precursor to a question later on. Um, so, uh, so when I came to Florida, I went to, uh, high school and I was in, it was in my junior year of high school that I took a class in pre-law and that, uh, really spurned my interest in the law. Uh, into politics and things like that. It was really kind of apolitical. Uh, I didn't really get into legal stuff, but that class like spawned it. And, and I will tell you, um, again, also a precursor for later, it was a teacher I had. Um, her name was Carol Rubel. Uh, she's such a sweetheart. Um, huge fan of Dan Marino, which is already uh, one of the many connections we had. And um, in taking her class, I realized I had, I had an, an affinity for the law and for politics. So I ended up deciding to major in uh, legal studies in college at Nova Southeastern University. And this was, I graduated in 95, uh, top of the class, that sort of thing. And um, very quickly into my academic year, I realized that when you, for those who don't really know, have never been to college, whatever your major is, you don't do any of that shit for like the first two and a half years. <laughs> like you're, you're taking earth science, you're taking biology 101 you're taking like english lit like stuff that has nothing to do with your degree um and i'm like did i just go to school for this like i i have my diploma like what's going on um so anyway i was i was in my third year of undergrad um i did two internships with two attorneys and said the hell with this i just i, I never it, my my sort of like with with ian saying like it just kind of like veered into one direction uh it was not a girl it was just lawyers that did it um <laughs> So They're quite effective uh, at that as well. <laughs> but the ironic thing was for for most of my time at Nova, I was already working in the IT department, like help desk stuff. Um, and I already had, I, got, when I grew up with a Texas instrument computer on a black and white monitor. Like I, would, I, always, I always had like Atari game controllers and computers and stuff in my household. So I was exposed to IT at a very young age. Um, and I'd been using it all these years. Now here I am working for a university, making some earnest money. In IT, and I'm like, why am I not doing this for a major? 
So after after uh, quitting uh, legal studies, I switched my degree to computer science and getting a bachelor's of science degree. So it's it's a BSIT, which I call a bullshit degree, um, <laughs> in more ways than one. Um, yeah, take that to the bank. Um, and then and then after that, really, it's just been it's been um, I've have I have more lines on my resume. And you've had lines of cocaine in Miami in the eighties. <laughs> there's just so many jobs I've had um, over the years. That's right the one now, thing I do remember from t- talking yeah. to you in the early days when you were rattling off all the jobs you've had. I'm like, this guy's either bored very quickly or he can't keep a job. <laughs> it, you know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. Um, the and I, I think this is something that one of the uh, one of our questioners had asked, but I'll, I'll answer it say, now. It, it plays right in. Yeah, Ben. It's it's um. I'm. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm a quick learner and sort of like with, with Trevor, once I've mastered a thing, if there is nothing more to learn, if there's nothing more to do, if the advancement opportunities are far in between, I found that most of the jobs I've had are what I call T-schools. There's a ton of entry-level positions, but very, very little upward mobility. So you find that you have a lot of call center, tech support, customer service, restaurant host. Like you just, you have all these different jobs where you're like, hi, you can get your foot in the door. But then you're like, but I want to aspire to the next level. And, you, you know, you know, there's always less and less as you go higher up the ladder. Um, but the positions never opened up. It's like it either takes death, retirement, or someone to get terminated for doing something really bad for these jobs to open. And when they do, it's hard to really get noticed in that way. So oftentimes when I feel like I'm just I'm stuck here or the job's not worth it or the community, whatever the reasons may have been. Uh, eventually, I would just quit and move on to something else. Um, usually, it might be in the same profession, just a different position with a different company. Sometimes, it's a whole new job. I've done, let's see, I've done, I've been an educator. I've been a firefighter. Um, I ran for political office as a, a city commissioner. Um, I've done a lot of work in uh, hospitality industry, so restaurants, hotels, stuff like that. Um, I've done a lot of volunteer work. Uh, I've done a lot of IT work. Um, Travel agency? I mean, tra- uh, I, well, I did IT work for them. That's, okay, that that's, was most yeah, of my okay. work for them. Right. So, so I, yeah, I've done IT work for different kinds of industries, but largely all in, in IT. Um, so I've done, I've done a lot. And for those who don't know, I look very young. I'm only 43 if you're new to the show. Um, so I started working when I was 14. Uh, it was a, my first job was making $4 an hour at a movie theater as a concessionist. Let me tell you something. If you've never worked as a concessionist at a movie theater, the next time you go to movies, whenever that ends up being a hmm. thing where you decide to leave your house, turn off HBO Max, and go to see a movie, um, be nice to concessionists. Hmm. You always leave smelling like buttered popcorn. It doesn't matter <laughs> what you do. You could be there for five minutes. You smell like buttered popcorn. And it was just, it's the most disgusting job. And the only benefit they had was when I had like a 15-minute break, I can go into one of the movies and watch them. So I tried to see the same movie at different times so I can kind of catch the whole movie. 15 minutes um, at a time. Put it this way. I got paid less money than it did to buy a movie ticket. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was oh, – and I had free pink lemonade. That was also a nice little perk. Um, but I, wor- I worked for I worked for Disney. Um, I, I've just – I've done a lot of things, and, and I – ah, oh, man. I, I, I don't know even now, like – you guys, I know, are, are sort of inching towards retirement in some regards. Oh. I honestly do not know, now at 43, what the next 20-plus years will hold. I know that just uh, briefly speaking that the economy 
sort of really puts a kink on retirement plans when you're in your 40s because you're really I, like my dad is in his 70s and he still has to work. And I sort of feel like I, I'm down that that path the same. Um, and I'm only now for the first time in my entire life ever getting paid more than $50,000 a year. But for years, for years, I was working like $30,000 jobs, $40,000 jobs, and sort of like just waves back and forth uh, into all that. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's been it's been quite an adventure in, Ian, in the span of 30 years. Ian, first job, what'd you do? Uh, my first real job, like not cutting center jobs, but my, my first real job was working at auto drugstore. Uh, as yeah. a, as a sales guy at the counter. Yeah. That, that was the first real one. Yeah. I, for sure. I was, a, I was a dishwasher. That was my very first job at the golf and country club. Um, God, we have so many parallels. That's the first summer job I had was washing dishes. At well, the I'll tell you, it was the worst job I ever had because if you ever work in a kitchen, mm-hmm. the oh, worst, yeah. the worst part of the job, other than walking in after the, the day is done and seeing the mountains of pots and pans, like stacked to the ceiling and you're like, yeah, I'm never getting through this because I was the only dishwasher, was uh-huh. was switching um, the dish rags. They would have these dish rags and they would stuff them into this big gurney bag mm-hmm. and they would sit for about a week. And my job was to move them from one bag to another. Well, you know what it's like in, if you leave something wet and soggy at the bottom of a oh, gym bag. Oh, the smell is so bad. Oh, it still makes me wretch today. That was yeah. the worst part of the job. So anyways, I think I lasted about three weeks. And then I ended up getting a job at Sears um, in the shoe department, shoe and luggage. So shoes on one mm. side, across the aisle was luggage. Uh, that was a good job. I had that one for a year and a half, I guess, something like that. Here's a lovely rolling Samsonite to go with your new loafers. It was fun. Loafers. I mean, it was, it was a good job. I mean, you know, you get your lulls where things are really quiet. And then, of course, the holidays come around and, oh, my God, you're running up and down and up and down trying to shoes. And, oh, I don't want this and that and the other thing. Yeah, that was an interesting job. I, I haven't I had a, I haven't had a lot of jobs, to be honest with you. I've I've had let me see here one two, three, four, four real jobs working for companies. The rest of the time I've been working for myself. Wow. Oh, I spent yeah, a number my... of years in the music business. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Working a music store for mm, better part of eight years, I guess it was. Nice. That was interesting. <laughs> Matter of I, fact, I feel I, like I feel like when your resume's got staples, you know you've had a long, uh, <laughs> you've had a ride. I don't, I don't mean to hijack it, but I might as well talk about education a little bit. Um, I didn't go to post secondary. I finished, you know, grade thirteen back in the day. We we'd go up to grade thirteen here. Um, I wanted to get into the music business, and uh, because again, <laughs> buttons, right? Technology. <laughs> computer <laughs> by the way if you're listening to this on the podcast the face he just made please just find it on youtube just yeah. be like yeah. yeah no but that's the thing it's it's technology yeah. and i was very much into computers and this was at the at the start of the midi revolution you know being able to yeah. con- connect synthesizers and drum machines and stuff to computers and to each other to make electronic music that was the big thing um so it fit right in and i wanted to get into that business so i started working at the local music store um just as a, you know, run around private music store, small one, and uh, sold musical instruments and handled the rentals and all this other stuff. And I wanted to, uh, at the same time, I was trying to think about like, you know, I'm 18, 18 years old, 17, 18, trying to think about what I was going to do with my life. And I decided that maybe I should go and get some kind of degree in the music industry. So I decided I was going to go and get uh, a degree in recording engineering. 
right, working mm-hmm. in the studio. Uh, I applied to a local college and uh, did not get accepted. So that was a bit of a bummer. But I was lucky enough to find there were two other private um, businesses you know, that could get college-type degrees that would teach recording engineering. So one of them was... Um, one was larger than the other. Anyways, uh, so I applied. I got into that, paid my own money. Uh, that was about a year and a half program. Came out with flying colors. Now, my boss at the time um, used to work in the music industry um, as a recording engineer back in the 70s. Okay. Worked at big Toronto, I mean, Bachman Turner Overdrive, all, you know, the big names. Um, working as a sound engineer. And of course, when he got into the music business, started his business, he built himself a little studio down in the basement. But he was so busy running the business that he wasn't running the studio. Um, And I wanted to get into the studio and do stuff. So he said, well, you go get your degree. And then when you come back, you you can run the studio. Well, it never happened. So I was... I was I was heartbroken over the Mac, and, and <sighs> he was a tough boss. He was um, verbally and sometimes physically abusive to me, and that was really really hard to to deal with. Uh, you know, here you are, you're. Oh my gosh, when did I quit? I was twenty three, twenty four when I quit, something like that. I'd met my soon to be wife. My ex-wife now, at the time, and I remember she came into the store and she looked at me and looked at my boss. And after work, she told me, "What do you do working? What are you doing working there?" He he just gives me the creeps and he's not nice to you. And you're so good with computers. Why don't you go do something else? And at the time, I had bought my first Mac. It cost me a lot of money. You know, this is nineteen ninety dollars. Um, but I had bought it from the local computer reseller that was about half, half an hour away and I'd befriended those people. And then when my ex-wife had told me at that time that I should quit and try something in computers, um, because I had come back from a particularly bad day at, at work that one time, I said, F it, I'm going to quit. So, uh, I quit. And I went to the computer store and I said, can I have a job? And they said, what are your qualifications? I said, well, I've been doing this, this, and this. I bought my computer from you guys. And they said, when can you start? So I started working in retail sales at the computer store. And I did really well in retail sales. I mean, I've been doing retail since the Sears days and stuff. So Mm -hmm. I did really, really well. Um, And after about two years of doing that, um, so it was a small computer store, but they had not only retail sales, but they also had service and they also had corporate sales. And corporate, uh, I, I, I wanted to be a service technician. I, I enjoyed the retail stuff, but I also wanted to fix the computers too. So at one point, I think it was the, yeah, it was the boss that was running the corporate division came down and took me aside. He says, you have a choice. We're, we want to promote you, but you have a choice. You can go and work in service or you can come and work in corporate sales. And I was I was heartbroken because I wanted to work in the service department so bad but I couldn't stand I couldn't stand the woman who was running it. <laughs> um, so for me it was like okay, I guess I'm going to corporate sales because I thought okay, well I'm going to get some juicy accounts, right? Because they had some pretty big accounts. Uh, unfortunately because I came in and I was a low guy in the totem pole, I got none of that stuff. So I had to hustle. But one of the things that I discovered um, hustling 
and going around to all these smaller companies was the common refrain of, we like your company, we have service problems with our computers in the sense when we have a problem with it, you guys always want us to bring the computers to you guys, but none of you want to come to us. And I kept hearing that over and over and over again. And then the light bulb just went on one day. I said, see a need, fill a need. I can do the computer service, which is what I want to do. And I can start a business. So right then, my, my, um, my business was, was born of uh, going out and seeing these clients that I already knew and doing the service work. Um, I had to be very careful, of course, not to you know, step on anybody's toes. Mm. Uh, but it was not the kind of service that they were looking for. Like they, they were kind of inferring the fact that we want technical support, not fix the computers, right? So I thought, okay, well, that, that'll be okay, right? So I was doing like writing little programs or automation or just doing, you know, fixing little problems and stuff like that, but not the hardware stuff necessarily, did right? You, so did you turn it off and turn it back on again? Yes. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that stuff involved in the <laughs> IT business if you know anything about oh, that. Oh, yeah. Um, right. Shall I go on? Because there's more to the story that I've never revealed. You want to? It's your show. Oh, okay. All right. Um, how long? How are we doing here for time? I guess we got a little bit of time. Anyways. So let me see here. Yeah. Uh, this is round about 95. Yeah. So I met my first wife, 93. We married in 95. And, uh, of course, you're young, you're 25, 26 years old, got no money, you live in an apartment, you got a crap car. You got it made. Well, <laughs> early <laughs> days, pretty tough, right? Yeah. Anyways, um, all secondhand furniture, like no concept of like, are you ever going to own a house? You're going to retire? None of this stuff, right? You're just getting by by the skin of your teeth. And then, um, so I'm going to tell this story that I've never revealed to anyone because it, it involves finances, and it, the finances are one of those taboo subjects. I just don't like talking about that stuff because it's really nobody's business. But I figured this is actually a, a good and a happy story, so I figured it's probably time that I, I tell people. So around about, I think it was 96, when my wife and I were married for about a year and a half, and... Um, it, this happened on a Saturday. Saturdays were the typically the day where it was nice. I would get in my car and just go for a drive, right? Clear your head. That's what I do. Um, my wife decided to take her sister and go to the mall. So they're at the mall, and they walk up to the Wicket information booth. They were selling um, uh, lottery tickets. So she bought um, a scratch and win type of thing. And uh, she took it home, didn't scratch it came home and sat down on the couch and scratched the, the ticket. And her sister was there and she was asking your sister, she says, what happens when you get three triangles or whatever the hell it was? Right. And her sister looked at it and they had to double take and they were like starting to flip out. So they decided, and of course they're trying to get a hold of me. This is early days. We didn't have cell phones at the time. Uh, couldn't get a hold of me. So she decides to go back to the mall with her sister to ask the wicked, is this actually a winning ticket? Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, our lottery machines have a thing where they can put it in. They can tell you whether you win or not. So sure enough, she shakily hands the ticket over to the lady and she puts it through the machine and it does its little song and dance and it comes out and she says to the says to my ex-wife, congratulations, you won. Um, so now she's trying to, f she's, flipping out at this point. So she's trying to find me. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've already come home at this point and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm just working on my laptop. 
I hadn't heard from my wife all day. She comes home with her with her sister, and she's got bags. Like she went shopping, <laughs> right? Of course, I just told you we don't have any money, right? She's shopping and stuff. And she came home. I I looked around at her. And I said, "What the hell are you doing going shopping?" She says, "We don't have to worry about money anymore." I said, "What are you talking about?" So she reaches over the couch. So our couch was like right by the door and stuff. So you could just kind of reach over. So she reaches mm-hmm. over my over the couch in front of my computer and gives me the slip of paper that looks exactly, it's printed on the same paper as a 649 ticket. 649 is, uh, is the, uh, is the lottery system that we have like here. Like our Powerball for our American Yeah, team. exactly. Okay. And she, she hands me this ticket and she says to me, we don't have to worry about money anymore. And now I look at this ticket and I'm thinking, I didn't hear what she said. She says, oh, you bought a 649 ticket, right? She goes, no, count the numbers. My sister-in-law, meanwhile, I noticed she had come around, and she's standing in front of me. She's got one of those little cinematic camera picture. She, mm-hmm. she goes, snap. She takes a picture. I'm going, like, I'm really confused at this point. She, she says, count the numbers. So I'm counting the numbers, and I see one. At first glance, I'm like, 10,000. And I went, uh, snap a picture. She goes, count the numbers. I look at it again. I see 100,000. Click another picture. My face is like this. She goes, are you counting the numbers? I look at it again. A million. Click what? another picture. Yeah, we had won a million on an instant scratch ticket. Oh my god! <laughs> so, keep in mind, this is a. Sa- you, I've been I've been on two game shows and won like money from a Chips Ahoy cookie contest. What the that's, f, man? Yeah, that's that's our secret. This is in the nineties, man. That's big money in the nineties. Well, you know, you keep in mind Legos. you're you're. T- <laughs> keep in mind you're twenty six years old. You don't have a house. You have no cars. You have no nothing. Honestly, a million dollars sets you up, but it's not good enough for retirement. So yeah. remember, this is a Saturday. We can't claim the ticket until Monday. Longest freaking weekend of my life. Broke on Wednesday. So anyways, Monday rolls around. We decide, like, we're not going into work. We got to go to Toronto to claim this ticket, right? Because in order to claim these tickets, you got to go to the head office. So anyways, I call my office and I said, guys, I'm not coming in today. I'm not sick. I'll explain later. You'll understand. Uh, My ex-wife does the same thing too. We go to the the, uh, Toronto uh, office where they do this stuff. Now it walks in and it looks just like a bank, right? They got tellers. And, you know, people are lined up and you give them the ticket. And she looks at the ticket and she goes, oh, you got to go around back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay. So you go around back and they've got these. One, two, three. (laughs) Yeah, none of this, right? (laughs) So anyways, um, we go around back. They've got these um, booths set up where they do the interviews. Because part of the deal, of course, as you know, when you win this kind of money, is that they have to get your signature and your authorization to do you know, publicity and stuff. So anyways, media. yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, um, I, I'm walking, you know, I'm nervous. I don't know what's going on. I see these different booths and there's people and stuff. And, you know, I'm walking by, I'm like, Hey, you won? Oh yeah. How much you won? And I said, you know, how would you guys win? Right. Oh, we won uh, 10,000 bucks. So I'm like, Ooh. I walk over <laughs> to the next guy. How much you guys? Oh, we won like 20,000. I'm like, Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so make a long story short. They, they give you the, the big written check and you take a picture, but they give you mm-hmm. a real check. Uh, and let me tell you, we, that was also the first time they were also having a reunion that very same day because there was an anniversary or something like that going on of all the people, um, at the queen suite at the Royal York, uh, where all the people had won these scratch tickets. So they had a little hoopla. So they said, well, we want you to come down there. We're going to introduce you. There's going to be some media and stuff. Uh, we'll introduce you as the latest winners and stuff. So anyways, we went down there, did the whole shindig, did some phone interviews. 
course, it's like four o'clock. And, and of course, my wife and I keep in mind, uh, we're brand new. We didn't have any money and stuff. We, matter of fact, we had a $20,000 loan from the credit union because the banks wanted nothing to do with us. So we called the credit union and said, we want to pay out. We're coming down like right now. Stay open. <laughs> so anyways, we managed to get in. I think it was about five minutes after they closed, but they promised they'd stay open for us. And we handed them the check and they look at, whoa, this is the most movie we've ever seen. <laughs> So anyways, I was a millionaire for a few hours until we paid off, but it was certainly nice to have that little checkbook at the time and seeing all the numbers and stuff. So anyways, we used the money to um, to buy ourselves. Our first home was completely paid for. Um, I was willing to take out a mortgage, but our financial advisor had told us, no, uh, the house is your best place to put your money, so just buy it outright, and then trust me, it'll work out. Yeah, that was a good that was a good choice that way. Um, she needed a new car more than I did. I refused to get a new car, although I kind of, <laughs> I gave in after a few months. Um, we gave some money away to our, our family and uh, invested the rest and uh, lived off that for, I mean, I was still working and stuff, and it, but it set me up to help my business. And um, and eventually when I got divorced, we, we sold the house. So I had proceeds from that. I still had some investments and stuff, um, but still can't retire. It's just one of those things, right? You get a million bucks, you spend a bunch of it and stuff, and then you get divorced, you get to give up 50%. You know how it goes. So anyways, that's my story. Oh, Never yeah, told all it the time. It happens to everybody here. I mean, <laughs> shit, I've done it like six, seven times already. Uh, that's my story. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyways. Um, but now it's like, okay, like, that, that was so long ago. God, that was over your over 25 years ago. Time flies. Yeah. But uh, to win a million dollars today, I'll tell you, I mean, at my age now, okay, yeah, all right, I'm good to retire. But uh, back in the day, God, no, you can't do that. I mean, I, I, will, I mean, if I you will tell go you, and live in a cheap country, maybe that's a yeah, story. Yeah, I will tell you, I, I I did not win a million dollars on Wheel of Fortune. Um, Eric so for those story. who don't know, for those who don't know, I was on, well, I'll be brief because then we get a lot of uh, listener questions. Yeah. Um, so I've been on two game shows. I've been on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Yay. in 2001. That's a colossal embarrassment. Okay, here it comes, $200. Take a look. Which of the following is most likely to curtsy? A football player? An accountant? A ballerina? A mackerel? Although I've seen it done in movies uh, with a football player, I'm going to have to go with C, ballerina. Yes, the ballerina is the one of curtsies, 200 Going for $300. A traveler waiting for a last-minute seat on an airplane is said to be flying how? Sit in, stand by, lay down, in cargo class. That would be B, stand by. Yeah, that's it. Stand by, $300. I did get to the hot seat. Um, I was only 23, 22, 23 at the time. It was in 2001, so I was 23. Um... And I was, I think, the second youngest American contestant to make it into the hot seat at the time that the show had aired on TV. Um, we taped on a Tuesday. It aired that Friday. So it was kind of weird. Uh, we taped late March. It aired on, in April. And um, I ended up only winning 1000 So I will tell you, I was nervous as hell. I mean, I'm 23 years old. It's Regis Philbin. It's national TV. There's a live audience there. My mom was the person behind me in the, in the audience in the seats. Um, it was nerve-wracking. It was crazy. Um, I hate every memory of it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. So we're going to move on to Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Wheel of Fortune, um, I did 13 years later. <laughs> so that happened in 2014. Um, and I won $10,200 cash. And I came in third. Nice. That's how crazy that episode was. I won $10,200 and came in third. Um, Is that on YouTube? I will tell you. I, was, I, I, I don't know if it was. It was for a period of time, but then it got taken down for copyright infringement. Um, but the theme of the show was the Grand Outdoors. And the woman who was on my left, so I was in the red uh, wedge. 
Uh, the one to my left who was in, I think it's blue and yellow. I, can't, I forget what the order is. Um, I think it's yellow and blue. Um, but ever the woman to my left, her name was, I think her name was Carla, if memory, if memory serves. Anyway, she was a nervous wreck in rehearsals. Like just totally like just everything was just glazed, glazed over the whole yeah. thing. And I, I've been on stage as an actor, performer, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, so you talk about music. I've been in music for pretty much since I was third grade. Um, so I, I'm used to the lights and sounds and all the spectacle. And it's yes, it's Vanna and, and Pat and everybody. Um, but we're we're doing rehearsals, and I'm we're watching puzzles on the board being figured out and stuff. And I'm looking at the different stuff. And if you're if you're in your studio, the when you're at the wheel, the wheel weighs about two thousand pounds. It's mm-hmm. very heavy. So if you spin it, you usually get close to where you were the first time. Um, and then off to your player's left, so camera right, player's left is a letter board. So you see like this little blue screen with all the little letters in white. And then as letters get called, they just vanish off the screen. So I'm watching the board. I'm looking at the letter thing and I'm sort of looking at the puzzles and I'm just, I'm, I'm banging them out one by one by one. And they're all different themes, you know, before and after, you know, actor, whatever. So um, I'm sitting there and Carla's just like, how are you doing this? <laughs> so I gave her pointers, which is my damn fault because that's <laughs> why I came in third with $10,200 <laughs> and she won everything. Now, mind you, she won in, she won one puzzle one in that one puzzle she won a car a vacation and a ton of money that ended up getting her set for the entire damn show because my stupid idiot brain first letter i get a chance i go s and there's no s i'm like damn it (laughs) so um it's like i call x or something and then uh, so she ends up winning everything she won the puzzle at the end husband kids come out i felt so happy for her like i we, we all like all the contestants unite together and there's this really weird thing um, for those who don't know, there's the un- it's an unofficial club, the multi game show club. So if you if you're a contestant who's been on more than one game show, you're part of this club. So I am an unofficial card carrying member of the uh, the multi game show club. So <laughs> you just need to be on prices right too. But people well people have asked me would I do another show. <laughs> um, so if if I, there's like someone's like Eric, you should do Jeopardy. Um, listen, people, look in the look at me right now. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm not Jeopardy smart. <laughs> okay, I saw I saw an, I saw an episode where the ca- the first category in Double Jeopardy was Alaskan trees. This guy, let's just call him Joe. Joe took every damn one and got it. I don't know anything five <laughs> times over to do that. He knew every freaking tree that was on there. I'm like, bro, I I can't name five donuts, and you can name five Alaskan trees. <laughs> Holy crap. Oh, my so, yeah. God. Fun times. It was it was good. It was, it's a good experience to do it. Um, I know that Tracy and I, my significant other, um, we've talked about, like, going on game shows, uh, whether it be The Weakest Link or um, uh, The Wall on NBC or, you know, something like that, some competitive couples show. Um, I think we're both, we're both zany that way. But, man. We should um, totally do a cruise together so that we can go on the, sh- on the shows. Like, they always have the games on the, right, on the right. cruises. Right, right. Man, we would clean up there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, um, we're going a little long here, so let's yeah. uh, let's hop over to some questions. Let's let's, uh, let's jump in and then answer some questions that our viewers and listeners have submitted, Eric. So, what do we got here? What's what's up first? All right, the first one comes from our friend Ben, uh, who asked this question of all of us: um, How do we balance our personal life amidst all the work that we do with the podcast, the forum, social media? Um, he knows that this isn't our day job doing all this stuff. Nope. So, um, so how do we basically manage the two between family and work? 
Well, not a problem for me. My workload's fairly low at this point. So I, 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 just, as, I just show up here when I'm yeah, asking. Yeah, as far as the podcast stuff, it, it doesn't take that much um, uh, work. I mean, you know, I'll... I'll I mean, we maintain a spreadsheet and stuff of information we want to talk about. We put it in there and we have a little pre-show. We just kind of set it up as far as what we want to talk about. And sometimes we talk, I mean, we talk on a regular daily basis between the three of us, um, you know, how things are going, what do we want to do and stuff. So it's not, it's not, doesn't take that much, I don't think. Ian? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, um, it it seems pretty fluid and it's, you know, it's stuff that we would normally chat about anyway, because we have one of our private Tesla chat groups. So we kind of know going in. Yeah, I find the the, the whole podcast process uh, for me is very organic because we're we're all chatting all week, like you said, Trev. And, uh, you know, once once the questions are dialed in, we show up and, you know, so it's one evening a week. Uh, It's kind of like my boys night. And uh, yeah, that's that's no problem. It's it's sacred time for me. So it's it's a pleasure to always do it. It's always fun. Um, yeah, no, we have a riot doing the show. I, I love it. I, I'm just so happy people actually want to watch and listen to it. it <laughs> We'd probably do it just the same if you didn't. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it, the the other aspect of it, I think for a lot of people, balancing social media versus your job and your family is a real big challenge. And I was lucky in that I was very late to the social media game. I had no account of any type until 2015 when I got onto Twitter so that for the sole purpose of following SpaceX so I could catch a launch when I was down in Florida at the time. And, of course, that's famously what uh, led me to follow much more in depth the exploits of one Mr. Elon Musk. And it's around the same time that I discovered they're going to make a smaller car. Hey. Mm-hmm. Ooh. So that's that's actually what led me into the Tesla world was was joining Twitter, strangely enough. Um, and since then, you know, I I think like a lot of people, I, I really got sucked into it early on. Like I'd always get the look from Ms. Mads. It's like, are you on Twitter again? <laughs> I remember the first time we went on a trip when I had a Twitter account. I was like, I was photographing and posting everything. She's like, really? Like, does everything now have to be public? I was like, put the phone down. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I, I got very conscious of that early on and I backed off. And now it's just something I do, you know, a few minutes here, a few minutes there for, for fun. Um, but what I, I really enjoy the interaction, though. I mean, I think it's great that we, we have such a lively audience and they want to ask questions and we have, you know, discussions in the community. So it, it's just a little thing that I keep in moderation. I don't find it takes a huge amount of my time every day. And I, I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that it, it really shouldn't be. And I think it's easy because that's the only platform uh, I'm on. I mean, I had Facebook for a little while. I flushed that this year because, anyway, that's a long discussion. Mm-hmm. I don't want to but I have no use for them whatsoever. Um, But yeah, it it hasn't been that bad. And of course, you know, I spend, I've always spent times on forums. God, since forums existed. I mean, that's the only reason I was ever able to own 20 years with it. Yeah, exactly. Anytime I wanted to fix anything, thank God for owners forums. Oh my God. Absolutely. You know, in a small way, I I feel my time now in the Tesla community and, and on Twitter and helping people with these stuff is me paying back, you know, all of the help that, people who came before me, you know, with their videos and their explanations and stuff on, on cars and motorcycles I've owned. To me, it's like just the sharing thing that's that's so essential uh, and rewarding at the same time. So, uh, yeah, it, it's not a huge um, imposition for me, but I mean, you know, I mean, Trevor's got the most skin in the game because you're the one that's running the show and you got to do <laughs> all the recordings and the editing and everything. You know, uh, Eric's even a little more involved than I am because you've got your eye more on the news and you do a great job of, of posting the news, the news articles and stuff. I almost just kind of show up as the color commentator guy. Here. <laughs> uh, we appreciate your input. All right. I'll, I'll read the next one because uh, Ben has a question for Eric. Okay. He says, uh, you've often spoken about for, uh, spoken as a formally teaching. I'm completing my 10th year as an elementary teacher. I've often <laughs> comment, uh, contemplated leaving the classroom to try something different, but always struggled with what else is out there. What led you to stepping out of the classroom and has it been a struggle working in other fields? 
Oh, the last parts, yes. Um, it's been a, it's been a struggle, really. Every every field I've ever been into. Um, I I have this weird thing, and I don't know if it's me, my perception of the different fields I'm in, or what it might be. Um, but I but I often feel like um, that there is there is definitely either a cultural fit, either I'm too smart for it, or there's something there's something about it that I find all-encompassing that I want to be tied to. Um, my major thing is I've always believed that there is a there is a, a core difference in work um, as far as a job's concerned and then your career. I, I've never found a career because I, for example, I love, I love music. I love, I love performing. I love doing um, improvisational comedy. I love singing, acting, the whole thing. If I could make a living being a stage performer, Oh my God, that, yeah. that, that's a career. Yeah, I could totally right? see you doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, as a journalist, no, but, but now, but like, th- but all I've done, all I've ever done was just held a job. I've earned a paycheck. That's all I've really ever done. Um, so to answer Ben's question, um, th- I left the profession twice. Uh, the first time was in 2008. Um, I had just worked for a middle school uh, in the Space Coast, as it were, in, in uh, near Cape Canaveral. I was working for um, a middle school, and it just went south very quickly. Uh, long story short, the principal and I never saw eye to eye. Um, there were a lot of demands that were above and beyond what the state of Florida required educators to provide uh, as far as documentation, lesson plans, that sort of thing. And I was the kind of person that, like, all the demands were unreasonable and uh, really violated uh, uh, union uh, restrictions. So um, I ended up just leaving because I had a chance to get into the fire academy. And those don't come across very often, especially no. here in Florida. And it was right after um, I graduated the academy uh, from Cocoa Beach, Florida, that the housing bubble went and then every job vanished. Ugh. So here I am now fresh out of the academy with, you know, I, had a, I was a nationally certified EMT. I was a state certified firefighter. And the jobs were so limited that when an opening opened up anywhere, hundreds if not thousands of candidates from across the country mm-hmm. would flood into that market. So I, I could never get in, especially because I was also older when I was applying. So a lot of times they want departments want to hire younger because you can work for a long time. They can You, you get less seniority. So it's better. I just, I just couldn't get a job. So I ended up getting back into retail jobs and other stuff. And then my second venture into education was working for a private school. And let me tell you something. Um, this I'm not speaking for all private schools, just my experience in private school. Um, I was a high school teacher. And um, I was the third teacher, third math teacher for this one group of students. Uh, the initial teacher got pregnant. So she had to leave on leave. They hired another person to replace her. She quit two weeks in. Uh, and then I was hired after that. Um, I was certified uh, and and I had the job. And uh, I was very quick to see that this was kind of really, really bad. So what ended my uh, employment there was there were two students in a class. Uh, I'll be quick. Two students in a class were cheating. The school does not condone cheating. In fact, you can get expelled for cheating in the school. I caught them. I spoke with them individually and let them know, if you do it again, I will report you. So one of the students goes and tells his mom, I'm being kicked out of school. Which is not what I said. No. Uh, she, being an irate mom, calls the um, the program director that, that this kid sort of fell under. Um, and then I got pulled out of class, I think a couple days later. Um, in the middle of teaching, I get pulled out of class. And then the headmaster of the high school and then this uh, the, uh, program director uh, sit me down 
Long story short, they play the phone call of the of the uh, the like hysterical mom, and basically like, what do you have to say? And I'm like, are we just gonna totally skip over the fact this kid cheated and I caught him and didn't report it? That, you're you're mad at me, yeah. but he cheated. I said, don't do it, or you'll get kicked out of, or I'm gonna report it, which means you could get kicked out. He hears I'm getting kicked out of school, and and I'm I'm the one in trouble. Yeah. So okay. it was about a week later. I was like, "F this, f everything," and I and I just I quit. I, I gave him my rights to nature, and it was one of the things. It was in that meeting they said we have to be accountable to our shareholders, and I'm like, "You lose me at shareholders. Like, screw you. This is a school. Is I'm a teacher. Yeah. I'm yeah. not. I'm not some investor. I don't give a crap what the kids or parents are paying. But it was literally. It was just a school of of entitled." people from top to bottom the investors the shareholders the parent Ugh. everyone everyone and again just that school not speaking for all of them yeah. um but it, it's sour the taste so much so um that teachers now who are who are in the profession still bless you i it's it used to be the reason i got into teaching um is because i revered teachers i thought they were among the elites in our society when it came to professions and they are treated like shit today they're not paid enough they're not given enough benefits they're they're looked down upon and this pandemic really has opened up people's eyes to just how invaluable teachers ought to be and damn it if there's anyone who deserves more accolade and more recognition and more pay and more benefits and more everything it's teachers you, you want to keep them in the profession take care of them that's why they're quitting that's why the the average um the average undergrad who goes to elementary ed for college degree leaves the profession here in the u.s within three years Three years. Yeah. So you're losing teachers all the time because they're like, the hell with this. Yeah. Do something else. And they don't care what they'll do. But most teachers I know work two jobs at least. At least two. Yeah. How do you make a living worth two jobs all the time? And your teaching job takes like 50, 60 hours a week. Uh, Please. Next question. <laughs> wow. Well, mm -hmm. there you go. Oh, yeah. All right. Next question. Question for Trevor from Matt <clears throat> says, uh, "What is your favorite?" <laughs> oh my god, that sounded so terrible. Did, it? <laughs> did you did you eat a hot dog before you <laughs> said that question? He no no. I what's your what's your favorite yeah, movie? I don't know. What's your favorite have, movie? I, what's your favorite movie? Trevor? Yeah, what is your favorite movie? Uh, I don't have a single favorite movie. I'll tell you my top three in no particular order. Okay, uh, Shawshank Redemption, the That's first the first Alien film. Okay, and uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh my god, Apollo thirteen for me. That's a good. Yeah, uh, mine hands down has been for our god almost thirty years is the right stuff. Oh, it's oh, another good yeah. one. Oh, He's got a big man. poster in his bed in his in his basement. It's an yes. that's an original print. I know it is. Nice. Yeah, wife number one got. Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. I when I was younger, I didn't realize how long that was. I'm like, this is like Titanic before Titanic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, epic, epic film. Um, there, uh, each of us gets a separate question. These are yeah, yeah. What, what is what is what is your favorite non-Tesla dream car or favorite car that you've ever owned? God Almighty, that's a horrible question to ask. <laughs> Arnold. There's no sure. No, no, no. It's a great question. You just can't come yeah. up with an answer. But it's a great <laughs> yeah. question. No, I gave it some thought. I'll, I'll give it. I'll make it as quick as possible. I mean, uh, today. There are no cars other than Tesla that I, I really think about. As astonishing as that sounds, at any price point, I mean, if you if you said, okay, you can have any car in the world, you want, I'd get a Roadster. That's it. End of story. But I, I understand where Matt's going with this. Let's take that out of the equation. 
when I was a little kid, it, it would be going back through my history of dream cars. So when I was a little, little kid, I had this beautiful little uh, yellow Lamborghini Miura, a Corgi, mm -hmm. back when they were like jewel-like quality. And for a long time, when I first saw the Italian job, the original version with Michael Caine, yeah. and there's that one in the beginning of the film and it gets destroyed five minutes into it, I thought I was going to die. I was like, no! <laughs> but uh, that, that car resonated with me. I would still love to have one today. I keep watching the Jay Leno videos with him. Um, then in high school, it became um, the Porsche 930 Turbo, the, the early 911 Turbo series are known. The, the true Porsche nerds call it the 930 because that was the chassis series. Mm -hmm. right? For a long time, that was the ultimate car for me. I had a, I had a Beetle at the time. My first car was an air-cooled Beetle, and it was painted a Porsche color. It had like the black, you know, cookie color style wheels, the whole thing. It had a little Carrera stripe well, on know, it. It's a, it's a Ferdinand Porsche design, so, you know. Well, basically the same chassis, <laughs> only like one-tenth one, one the horsepower, the only yeah. problem, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then um, around the same time, I guess, and I carried on with me today, uh, is a, a favorite really bad but fun cult movie was um, The Gumball Rally, um, which is the only true cannonball movie, I think, which is authentic. It, it captures the spirit of, of the original, uh, you know, event in the 1970s. And, of course, the two lead cars in that, to me, which, again, were like almost human actors, they were so legendary, was, was the uh, AC Cobra, the 427 Cobra. And uh, the Ferrari Daytona convertible, the cabriolet. By the way, I if you follow thought... Ian, by the way, if you follow Ian on the forum, his avatar is from that film. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that that's how deep I am into that film. The Mad Hungarian Lapchik, who uh, who who rides the little two-stroke Kawasaki, <laughs> and shivers to death. That's me in my early motorcycling days. There's a lot of parallels. How there, dare so. you not say Herbie? Shame on you. All oh, right. I was a huge. Well, I'm a Herbie fan, but okay. yeah. We got to move on here. Uh, Eric, what's your favorite type of food? Uh, I see this two ways. My favorite cuisine is Italian. My favorite single food for eating on a dish is a taco. I said tacos tonight. Uh, we had like, like I, I asked this question the other day. I Have you Indian. ever said no to a taco? Never. No. I, I, we like Indian. I love Indian. Yes, me too. Curry. I love, I I love how you made I butter chicken tonight. It was really good. Yeah, Indian, Indian food. I love Indian food. Good spice. Okay, let's move on here. What's the next question, uh, Eric? So this, this is actually a series of questions from uh, Nicole in San Francisco. Um, these questions, I, just because I, I follow the show, this is from Sarah Spain's podcast called uh, That's What She Said. Um, and she has a segment of the show towards the very end with her guest called The Spanish Inquisition. So these are rapid-fire questions. We all get them. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is a natural talent you'd like to be gifted with? For me, for me it would be um, playing the piano flawlessly. Yeah, I, 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 wish, I wish I could play the piano. I, I play, but but not virtuoso. I would love right. to be able like to just play be able like to that. see music and go bam, just, just go, just classical, right? Like, oh yeah, I'd love to be able to do that. Like, is that a G? I don't understand. No, like, no, just be able to sit and no, play. no, I, can, I I know what chords are. I, I no, no, I'm, I'm just up, saying, but... like, but I'm saying, like me, I'd be like, okay, what key is this? Okay, the I gotta, okay, yeah, hold on, I gotta shift this oh, up. Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah. know what you mean. How about you, Ian? Ian, Ian what about is you? Is it funny? All three of us musical instruments, a uh, guitar. Yeah. I, okay. I, I absolutely love every form of rock music ever since I was a kid. I mean, I have a little Epiphone and a little cheap amp sitting in the corner of the room that for 20 years. And one day, by God, I'm going to learn to play a photo. But yeah, I would love to do that. Okay. What's what is nice? your one Desert Island album? Oh. Hmm. Easy for me. I, you, let's keep for the me, Okay, so it'll be Eric, Trev, Ian. Eric, Trev, Okay, Eric, for me, it's anything by Sarah Bareilles. Any, uh, anything. It could be her discography. I don't care what it is. I could sing that stuff all the time. Love it. My desert album album. Well, I don't know. I have weird tastes. 
Um, Arcadia. The Herbie soundtrack. Ar- Arcadia, So Red the Rose. And Arcadia, if you don't know, is a little side band that Duran Duran did during their years where they broke up. Um, it is an absolute masterpiece of sonic quality. If you've ever, I mean, just listen to the album. You're so emo. Anyway, no, I'm so 80s. Ian? I'm 80s. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> well, my, my first and always love will be the Beatles. And to me, the penultimate Beatles album is uh, the one they never made it that was re-engineered for the Cirque du Soleil show, Love. That is the closest thing I've ever had to like mm. an LSD mind-altering experience, listening to that album. And it still does it to me to this day. The way that um, they remixed it and, and brought all of the incredible chords and, and revolutionary sounds all distilled into one album and like flipped around and joined together. It's just, <gasps> it's like this musical smorgasbord. I just adore that album. Cool. If you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? You, you go first, Eric. That's the rule. Oh my God. Okay. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure if we're keeping the same order or not. Yeah. Always. Um, it's, it's, that's a hard question. Um, I, you know what? I'd be very interested to be in Barack Obama's shoes for one day. Hmm. No specific time frame. Doesn't matter. Presidency, after now, just to be in his shoes for one day. Because I would imagine he walks into a room and everyone's like, hey, Barry. <laughs> if I was to switch lives for someone for a day, I don't know. I think it would be something like Steven Spielberg during a movie shoot. Hmm. I don't know. Wow, those are both inspired answers. This is the one question that I, I couldn't come up with an answer for. I, I don't know if it's a failure of imagination, but uh, I, I will say I have often wondered if there was one job that I really wondered in my mind, what it is really like to be, and there's been so much spotlight on it in the last few years, is what is it really like to be a U.S. president? So I, I will just keep that as an open position. I wouldn't pick any one particular president, but just to have that job for a day, God almighty, I cannot imagine just, just, just for the just for the CIA briefings alone. Oh right? my gosh! Oh my god! <laughs> what's really going on in Area Fifty One? Uh, Come on! Uh, no, that's a CIA what's the, What's <laughs> what is the most scared you've ever been? Um, you know, for me, it's quite a lot. Um, I, I've been I've had hairy moments uh, from childhood all throughout my adult life. Um, the most scared, um, probably when a long term relationship you feel like has reached its coda. And you know it's coming, um, but you're not sure. Uh, that moment before you find out, that's that's that that's freaks me really out. Really rough. Yeah. That's yeah. Like, like you just realize your life is going to change course very quickly. I so. think uh, for me, the the scariest I've ever been was probably when I witnessed uh, a friend of mine crash his airplane in the field. Ooh. Um, and being one of the first people on on the scene, and I thought he was dead. That was that was terrifying, and it actually contributed to me giving up flying. Wow! Yeah. Ian, um, mine I can remember. It was like yesterday. It would be, I guess, about seventeen years ago. Now was when I got a phone call at four in the morning telling me that my dad had a massive heart attack and he was on his way to the hospital, and I didn't know if I was going to see him alive again. Um, and I don't know if it's anxiety. It, it's like a feeling of terror, whatever. I mean, you know, this is a man that I loved dearly, dearly, dearly. And, uh, yeah, I, I just remember getting in my car and, and racing to the hospital. I mean, this is in the middle of the night. It was pouring rain. And I don't think I was – can I still be prosecuted for this? I don't think I went under 200 kilometers an hour the whole way. Wow. I just was pedal to the metal, like just terrified I wasn't going to get to see him. 
and he had passed about 10 minutes before I got there. Yeah. I mean, but the, the, the stark shock of that still resonates with me to this day. The unexpected, I'd had dinner with the night, you know, with with some friends with him the night before everything was ticky boo. And then the phone rings the next morning and I just, wow. I mean, it hit me like a sledgehammer. It was just, I mean, I'm fortunate that I, you know, like I, I haven't really had a lot of scary things happen to me, but boy, that's not a moment I'd care to live again. Yeah. I can feel him. How are we what? doing, Eric? Move on. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> what a transition this is. Uh, what do you consider your biggest failure? Man, um, everything. Um, <laughs> I, I think. I think. In all seriousness, Nicole, um, I've I have a very hard time uh, focusing on my successes. Um, I labor very much on the things that don't work out. Um, I look at my life today as. Uh, as an adult and where I've been, um, I thought that by now I'd have been married, having at least a child or two, um, more well to do than I am, even though I'm certainly doing okay. Um, and, and it's, it's hard to be hard on yourself, uh, to be that honest about it. I think I, 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 I punish myself too much with those things, uh, too often. Um, but I think, um, I think the, I think my biggest failure is that I'm not a dad yet. And I've had a lot of friends tell me for a long, long time that'd be a great dad. You would be and a great be, dad. Mm-hmm. And to be for, to be forty three and not have had a kid yet, to not have raised someone, uh, to raise a, a man or a woman or you know just to raise a child, uh, to be a good human, um, to sort sort of create a better balance in the world. Um, you know, it's it's hard doing it on your own, but it'd be it'd be really great if I could at least raise a kid or two to help kind of even the scales a bit. I think for me, it's probably two things. Um, biggest failure would have been probably not recognizing a lot sooner that my true career path should have been mechanical engineering. That was probably the thing. And the other one is probably tying in a little bit what Eric said is um, trying to be a little better dad. Uh, it's tough during a divorce um, when one kid lives with the other parent and uh, there are some differences and, you know, you're not as close. I mean, you live far away. You know, I wish I wish I could have been a little better. I mean, we're okay now. It's just it, those are tough years. So yeah. yeah. Ian. Ian. Um, I guess um, probably not being a better brother. Um, you know, I uh, we had such a great time growing up, my sister and I. But I never really put a lot of effort in the relationship. You know, I it was just my friends and everybody else was always more important. And it, it, you know, it, as we grew older, it's sort of, we've had a, a relationship in and out and, uh, you know, I've, I've, sh- I've shared it certainly both moments with you guys here and there, but, um, it all came apart about five years ago and it kind of split up our family. And, um, you know, I, I could have avoided all of that. You know, it's like, I think there's, there's a little bit of blame on both sides, but I always like to think if I was more attentive and, um, and, and less self-centered, you know, in that relationship that uh, things would have turned out very, very differently. So no question. I, that's the one I regret most to this day. Mm-hmm. What habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Um, for me, it's, it's, I think it's a quick study. Um, you know, I, I've had a lot of employers and just even people in general uh, see how quickly I can pick up a, a, a stanza in song or um, you know, whether it's a job technique or whatever it is, uh, like, uh, Trevor mentioned this earlier in the show that a lot of the stuff he knows is self-taught. I'm sort of the same way. I don't read manuals. Uh, I've never, I've never really read one, but like, 
Oh, I got it. There was, there, to tell you how, the reason why I don't read manuals, uh, there was once a, something, I, I forgot what it was I bought, but I bought it and I opened the package. I take out the instructions and the first thing it says open box. <laughs> well, you, apparently you don't understand how manuals work. Yeah. So um, I was like, okay, I, I can't, I can't trust this crap. Um, but yeah, I, I think just being able to sort of self-study, quick study, um, you know, that, that I think has propelled me uh, quite far. I would agree with you on that. Uh, that's my same answer. Very quick to yeah. learn, like to learn on my own. Yeah. Um, it's helped me. I mean, even though I don't have a formal training in, in, in the career that I had originally trained for, um, yeah. I've been able to support myself uh, all these years, even without going to college or anything. So, Ian? Um, I think it's just my, my inherent nerdiness. It's like a desperate need to know every single fact and figure about a particular study. Like I get really OCD on stuff. So obviously with a passion for cars and being able to parlay that into an automotive um, uh, job, that, that really helped. And not only being able to absorb all that stuff, but to be able to regurgitate it and make it understandable for other people, I think has is, is really helped a lot along the way. So I got a great I, podcast for you if you're into that. It's called Call Me Curious, hosted by yours truly. Yep. Really yep. cool. <laughs> I love the show for that very reason. Exactly. There it's you like go. Awesome new facts. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's uh, let's kind of pick things up here a bit. Um, what is the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Oh God. Um, <laughs> everything. No. Um, I would. I there. It's really two things. Um, and they're sort of related. Um, one is I'd love to be able to forget things more. I I've memorized so much stuff mm. and it just stays with me for a long time. I'd love to be able to just kind of like rub things off and just forget about it. Um. And I think number two, and this is sort of strange to say, um, I want to be calmer. Um, my my emotions are always on a scale of like uh, a lot sort of, like of energy. My I'm a, I live what's called a spinal tap scale of emotions. So everything is an eleven. If I'm if I'm happy, it's really happy. If I'm sad, it's really sad. Um, I've I've had um, I've had self harm thoughts in the past. Um, I have no trouble admitting that, um, and I've I've certainly coped with those things and talked to, to doctors and others to kind of go through it. Um, but, um, and I don't, I've had some medical traumas as a young kid. Uh, and, and so I don't know if those things are related. Um, long story short, when I was two years old, I had my secondary seizures due to high fever and I was, um, apoxic and cyanotic. So I was basically dead. Um, so I was brought back to life. I was resuscitated at two years old and I don't know how much oxygen deprivation I had. Yeah. To know if some of that's led to, you know, brain damage. Um, so be that as it may, I don't know if some of the stuff that I deal with is related to that. But um, I'm here. But again, every everything is an eleven. So it's Elon would love it. I, Elon would be like, hey, you're you're a walking version of me. Everything's just an eleven. So I think for me would be to. I wish I didn't have ADD. I'm self-diagnosed. I'm very hyper-focused on what I'm doing to the point that I ignore absolutely everything else and I can't remember anything other than what I'm interested in at the given time. That bothers me. I recognize it. My wife knows how to deal with it, but I think that would be the major thing. I wish I could improve. Yeah. Oh, mine is so easy. <laughs> I am the world worst procrastinator. <clears throat> if I could kill that, oh my God. No, I, I just... <laughs> Unless it's a burning thing. If it's something I'm passionate about, like, I mean, I'll plan it like it's the D-Day invasion two years ahead. But if it's mundane tasks, I'm hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. There, there's a great shirt I've seen before. I think you should wear. It's called Procrastinators Unite Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that is so mean. Yeah. I mean. That's a good one. I'm just blessed to have Ms. Mad because she's the complete opposite of that. I mean, she's my best partner ever. 
yeah. because of that, because she keeps me organized and on track. Otherwise, this train would have derailed a long time ago. I, I hope that everyone who's watching or listening, um, whatever, whatever your partner in life may be, whatever that is, whether it's a pet, whether it's a person, um, whether it's a pet rock, um, find, find someone. If, if you're so lucky as to find someone who sees you with all of your flaws and still says yes, that is, that is, that's a great thing. Oh yeah, I'll second that. I'm 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 sort of waiting for Tracy to walk walk in one day going, I can't, I I can't. (laughs) What? Just seriously? No, no. So, all right. Last question from Nicole. Thank you, Nicole. These are all good questions. Uh, What three words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Son of a bitch. Um, uh, I guess um, compassionate. Um, Absolutely. Uh, funny, yep. Funny, funny, witty, interchangeable. Um, and ooh, um, <sighs> compassionate, funny, um, smart. I'll agree with that. I know you. Three words from most people describe you. Hope most people describe you. Um. I don't, there's, there's no one single word in English. I'll say it in French, débrouillard. Ian knows oh, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, go-getter, go-getter, go like getter. get it done. Um, that would be Driven. Dr- yeah, driven, something like that. Um, let me see here, what else? Um, yeah, smart, um, clever. Okay. Ian? Um, I think number one is helpful. I'd like to think mm-hmm. I'm helpful people on a lot of different levels um caring or kind you know some something of that i'd like to think I'm, I'm i'm empathetic most of the time and it's it's something i'd like to be recognized for it feels good and um not normal odd <laughs> weird <laughs> I Quirky, unusual yeah all that stuff i embrace my inner weirdness and, and and i hope it brings value somehow to others all right, so we got. We, I, I do want to get these to Melissa. These are good ones for Melissa. They're, these are rapid just, fire, really fast. Let's just knock this out in five minutes. We, right. we can do. We can knock this okay. out. Right. Um, what is your? And I'm, we're just going to go a person. We're not going to go around circle. Just Ian first. What is your favorite word? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. What is your least favorite word? I, I uh, frozen next. <laughs> okay. What turns you on? Uh, cars. What turns you off? Not having a car. <laughs> what sound? What sound or noise do you love? And do not say your car. No. What sound? <laughs> to God, um, I can't say car. <laughs> Why can't I say? Car? <laughs> okay. What is your Airplane. favorite? Okay. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, alarm alarm clocks of any type. Okay, I thought you were gonna say the word impound. Um, <laughs> what, is, what What is your favorite curse word? It could be French. It could be French. Uh, yeah. No. I. 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 My general purpose go-to word. I think that just because it's so so incredibly versatile is the F word. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, journalism. Absolutely. Okay. What prof- um, What profession would you not like to do? Uh, anything repetitive, like uh, accountant or assembly line work. I don't think I would last a day. Okay. And lastly, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Wow, you made it here in good time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Trevor, uh, what's your favorite word? 
So you've had time to think about this now. Um, awesome. Okay. What is your least favorite word? Um, hate. What turns you on? Okay. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Her cooking. Uh, what turns you off? Um, what turns me off? Uh, negativity. Okay. What sound or noise do you love? Jet engines. What sound or noise do you hate? Noisy gasoline cars. What is your favorite curse word? The F word, of course. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Flight instructor. What profession would you not like to do? Anything having to do with politics. And if heaven exists, what would God say to you at the pearly gates? You did good. Cool. How about okay, Eric? You guys can... All right. Okay. All right. Um, Ian, ahead, you, Ian, you do it. Ian. Okay. So, Mr. Camacho, these ought to be yes. interesting. Such a okay. myth. Uh, what is your favorite word? Anti-disestablishmentarianism. Oh, dear. Of course. Which I can spell it as fast as I can say it. Uh -huh. So, yeah. What, what is your least favorite word? Animosity. Ooh. What turns you on? Uh, laughter. What turns you off? Um, violence. God, you guys have such good answers. Mine sounds so awesome. <sighs> Those are, no, those are thoughtful answers. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Children's laughter. Okay. What sound or noise do you hate? Children crying. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> the F, the F word. Yeah. Uh -huh. okay. Someone on YouTube is going to go, wait, did they just center it and not even believe it? There's, a, there's a Netflix series on curse words. It's really good. Watch it. Yeah, it it's is. Really good. Yeah, no, it's definitely good. the F word. The F word is, the F word to me is the most versatile thing. Absolutely. Other, other than a pair of running shoes. Mm -hmm. So. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, gosh. Um, I definitely would, like I said, actor, musician, any one of those. Okay. And which one would you not like to do? Be president of the United States of America. <laughs> oh, okay. The, I just the, the, I saw how quickly Obama went gray, and I'm like, I, that, oh. that job ages you so fast. Oh, yeah. So. No kidding. No kidding. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, then, for the finale, if yeah. heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Sorry, wrong door. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Eric's thought about that one for a while. <laughs> I just, I've always known that because I, I, I'm an atheist, which is why I find it hilarious. Uh, Sorry, okay. wrong that's door. A, that's okay. Well, yeah. there you go, folks. Uh, this is by far the longest podcast we've ever done, but I think in so many ways, it's probably the most fun, the most introspective, the most candid um, that we've ever done. And uh, my hope, of course, if you've lasted this long, is that you've taken something from this that we're not just, you know, faceless people behind this whole thing. We're actually real human beings with real lives who have real things and real experiences. And part of the Tesla community w would understand that, um, uh, you know, like I said, we're, we're just we're real people behind this whole thing. And we just scratched the surface. I mean, we're talking, you know, many, many years worth of experiences. There's so many other things we could talk about. But I hope you t you got something out of this. I, ho I hope you liked, you know, the podcast. It's a little different from what we normally do. But we thought we'd open it up a little bit. Um, not to preclude, we won't do it again in the future. But 
it's just something fun. It's a little different. This can't just be Tesla stuff all the time, despite the name of the podcast. But anyways, um, if you like it, make sure you give us uh, a thumbs up, a subscribe to the channel, uh, give us a review on iTunes, whatever the case may be. And uh, we'll leave it at that. Actually, we get to do the closer as usual. Where can people find you, Eric, if they want to chat with you online? You guys can find me on Twitter. The handle is ECFIX, E-C-F-I-X. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, I have a new podcast called Call Me Curious. Episode 34 just dropped this past Wednesday. It is a weekly podcast where we give you 10 minutes for 10 topics, all random facts and figures, uh, all designed to make your brain go, hmm, that's kind of weird. Um, and also to tweet out facts yourself. So if you hear stuff, you like it. Uh, available wherever you get your podcast, like, subscribe, review. Uh, we're trying to grow the audience a little bit, so I appreciate everyone who's been tuning in. Uh, I've really continued doing this because it keeps my brain just really, you know, learning some new stuff. So what, what did we learn this week? We learned um, that bees, bees can f- uh, fly higher than Mount Everest. They can go over 25,000 feet above sea level. What's the point? Bees. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. See, just well, facts you can learn. Well, uh, a sloth, a sloth has more, has more vertebrae in its neck, in its neck. Than a draft us. Wow. See? This is the shit you learn and call me curious. Download, subscribe, rate, review, do it. Awesome. How about you, Ian? Well, on Twitter, the handle is at Ian Pavelko. At the Tesla Owners Online forum, the handle is Mad Hungarian. Uh, be sure to use the at symbol when you write Mad Hungarian so it tags me. If you have a question, I'll uh, be glad to pop up. And finally, if you're looking in. Uh, the way of uh, EV or Tesla wear specifically, you can go to my little store at uh, teespring.com, uh, Mad Hungarian Evolve Wear, and you will find all of the wares. Excellent. Well, I guess that leaves me. You can follow me on Twitter. The handle is Tesla Owners Online. Check out the forum, teslaownersonline.com, the absolute friendliest place and awesomest place to talk about Tesla. And I want to say thank you to our sponsors, the guys at Evanex and our fine friends at uh, Fine Lab Ceramic Coatings. Thanks for watching and listening, guys. We'll see you next time. See ya. See you guys. Bonsoir tout le monde what he said.